Mother, man. Hi, this is Earl from Holcomb, and when I'm not looking at four dead bodies with shotgun blasts, I'm listening to Murder Metal Mayhem. Spreading faster than a case of the clap in a trailer court. Able to shatter eardrums within a 666-mile radius. A podcast more brutal than all the rest. It's Murder Metal Right. little Bucket light on the subject in here, Chris. Yeah, get my mic closer. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? little light on the subject <laughs> yes, here. Sir. Got some new lights in the studio. And it is Tuesday, and we're doing that thing we do here at Horns High Studios on the Horns High Podcast Network, episode 145, 145. Murder Metal Mayhem tonight, man. Hell yeah. How's it going, Joey and Chris? Not bad, not doing bad. Doing pretty good, pretty good. Hell yeah. Work's Got been, some new lights here, so we're, shitty, I can see you again, Yeah, Chris. it's not I, so dark in here. I know. Dismal. I know. <laughs> it was like so dark, I like didn't realize that we had our overhead light go out, and Chris brought in some LEDs and... Got it all nice and like feel like I'm on stage in here, but it's LED, so it's not hot lights. Right? Not, LSD. Right. not LSD, not LSD. A little different, a little different. <laughs> different acronym, but different lights. Yeah. <laughs> different um, lights. What uh, what shirt you got on, Chris? Over there, a little different. That's cool. I got my fucking 47th anniversary mask shirt on. Hell yeah, 4077 baby. Love mash. That's <laughs> just such it's one a of my great favorite show. shows. It dude. really is. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Very cool. And Joey, old school. Yeah, I got the uh, Anthrax Not Man shirt on nice. today. Nice. Thrashing. Felk, yeah. And your Cubs hat? Uh, old Cubs hat, but I don't wear it as much, so it looks new. And my Megadeth lighter. Fucking, Still? It, no, it bit the dust. Is it? Oh, yeah, oh I was so going to say I, it's not Mega Life. It, no, if, I mean, I had it until it died, so that's not bad. I right. put a lot of flicks into it, but it's no longer with <laughs> But your Stephen King It mug, which is cool. Yeah, I fucking love this thing. Fucking. Yeah, that's freaking really cool. What about, what's your shirt you got on over I there? got the uh, Byzantine shirt when we played with them back at the Indian. Indianapolis Metal Fest. I don't remember the year uh, that we did that. It's been a while ago, but uh, they were really cool, and I've been on a kick of listening to them lately, and I was going through some shirts. I'm like, hell yeah, I knew I had one. I think I've got two uh, that I've stumbled on this one, so I busted it out. Dude, isn't it crazy when you fucking got so many shirts, you're like, oh, "Oh, I forgot I had that shirt. You have no idea, man. Yeah. Cashman, man, Jesus. Yeah, that's when, I can. When we fucking moved, I fucking had this whole box of shirts that I didn't have room to hang up before. Now I got this big closet. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, I forgot I had that shit. Right? Like, yeah, it's it is crazy. So, uh, all right. Well, last week we had our buddy Tex on with Fuck us. Yeah, we did talking about some Alcatraz. That was really cool. Good conversation we had with him. Of course, yeah. the listeners love it when we have Tex on. The Alcatraz was good. I had somebody. Told me after they listened to it, they're like, after you guys talked about the food, I want to find a documentary about a chef at the fucking prison. <laughs> yeah, That's right? Funny, That's pretty cool. <laughs> Wasn't Gacy, though, because Gacy was a chef in Iowa, but, right? <laughs> but not at Alcatraz and not back then. Uh, but, you know, we talked about some of the notorious convicts like fucking Al Capone, Machine Gun Kelly, and uh, Mr. 666, inmate yeah, 666. He was on those docks. That was awesome. Yeah, it was very cool. So it was a good one. And we had CK 
talking about the band Alcatraz, which is cool. And Chris, you had a good mayhem story to tell. Yeah, yeah. Family and fights at the hotel. Family, <laughs> uh, Shawback Family Nation uh, taking over a hotel. And we had a good killer cage match and just the wild stuff. And we passed the 1,100 listens Nice. when I checked it today, which is really good for a new episode. We're right. about 100 over the usual, which is great. So thank you, everybody that checked it out. And if you missed it, go check out 144. It's a good one. So, All right. Now, tonight we got another one uh, that I've been excited about. I've, I've been really doing a lot of research for this one for a while now. Uh, the 1959 murders going back a few years to Western Kansas and the Clutter family murders, Chris. Pretty brutal pretty stuff. Pretty brutal shit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a family of four slain by two ex-cons looking to score some quick cash. They heard a rumor that there was some money, Joey, in yep. a safe, and they were a little they were a little wrong. So it, not it, happy. It, it was it. too tempting, though. It the, was, the, the, the and the sixteen-year-old girl thrown yeah. on the top, right? Very tempting. Cherry on the top, so to speak. <laughs> but things she go horribly. <laughs> <laughs> things go horribly wrong for the four innocent people. They end up dead. Uh, it was made famous though by the Truman Capote book. In Cold Blood, I brought my copy in here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really love the book. Considered the first true crime novel. So I'm really anxious to get to this one. Like I said, I've done quite a bit of research. I know you guys have too, so it's a good story. And, of course, that'll be in the murder segment. So should be good. And we got CK warming up, ready to throw down in the metal segment. He's fired up. Going to oh, be talking yeah. about Mastodon tonight. Not a band I'm particularly big on. I know he is, um, and I'm always interested to learn new stuff, so um, I'm curious to hear what he says. As I've said before, we played with them before they became known uh, on a big scale. We played with them in Indiana one time at a show, uh, like a fest. Uh, that was a mess. I think I told the story about our hotel room got taken by somebody else. And oh, yeah. All that bullshit, that was that night. Um, but they were nice guys and, and everything, but it was good. The show turned out to be a disaster. Um, but CK is going to talk about Mastodon. He's been running up and down Wildman Street, raising the hell. Cops have been out there apparently a few different times. <laughs> yeah. I think they got a cam out there now on Wildman Street. Yeah. You can watch just it live. <laughs> just constantly out there. It's like fucking... Uh what is that? Cops twenty four seven. Oh yeah, or live PD. Live PD. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> live wild man. Live right, wild there man. You go. <laughs> wild man live. Uh, so we'll hear about his crazy ass in the metal segment. So got a good killer cage match tonight. Always fun, Chris. We got some listeners we want to say thank you to. Rowdy Bonehouse. What up? That's a sweet name. That is a good one. <laughs> Hell yeah! And then we got Ray McFalls and old girl Samantha Crams. So awesome. Thank you guys. Hell yeah. Very cool. And we got another good one for you guys tonight uh, with two fighting to death in the cage. Joey, who do we got up here tonight? couple people that love to kill that's for sure right we got, uh <laughs> ted bundy who thinks he can fucking act as his own fucking attorney and actually win <laughs> right he's also a fucking escape artist keep and that in a mind. necrophile and a necrophile and he's gonna go up against the fucking vampire dusseldorf peter kurt nice we've done that case yeah. that's a fucked yeah. up one chris that dude yeah. was fucking whacked <laughs> like legit like drinking the, blood the, like no the, like him and like fucking Richard Chase that like just drank the yeah. blood yeah. and shit like like not this, like this fucking freaking They didn't me out. use the name vampire loosely like this no. dude legit was a vampire um 
So they're going to be fighting with two objects and a variable in the cage to make it interesting. And, of course, we always do that in the Mayhem segment. So give you a reason to listen. Uh, thank you to everybody out there listening to the podcast. We keep seeing numbers rolling in. This week, 3,600, up about 1,000 from the week before. But that's because that week was a bonus week. And those do tend to take a little or get a few less listens. But still awesome. And we do really appreciate everybody that checks us out. Uh, so... Chris, Joey, got a lot on our plate tonight. Yes. Going to be heading to the plains of western Kansas yeah, to find a stuff. family fucking dead in their house, murdered in cold blood. Let's so, fucking, Chris. Let's get our murder on, motherfucker. Fucking A, man. Yeah. Some Byzantine. Love those guys. Uh, that's off their latest from 2017. Song called New Ways to Bear Witness. They got a video for that. They're really great. Uh, I've talked about them in the intro, but man, another Metal Blade band that kills it from I'm West Virginia. I'm pretty sure they're on the bill for FTA this year. They? I know they were the last year we went. Really? 2019, but huh. I think they're on the bill again this year. That's cool. Yeah, they're, they bring it, man. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the gruesome 1959 murders of the Clutter family in rural western Kansas, almost in Colorado, I think, uh, yeah. really close. Uh, four of them were murdered in their home in the middle of the night. It turned into you know the small town up upside down in Holcomb, Kansas. Yeah. Uh, you man, why we say small town neither? Yeah, no, it's I mean, less not, than three hundred people. That's pretty fucking small. If you're not talking like Topeka or Kansas City, like or Wichita or Wichita, is yeah. there anything else in that state? Not, not much. It's there's small, a <laughs> lot of small towns. I know. Yeah. Every time I drive through there, I'm like, God. Yeah, damn. it's a long drive. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so these guys are yes, blinking. You're through Holcomb, Kansas. The manhunt took the FBI. All over the country, uh, even into Mexico, trying to catch these fucking fools. Uh, they carried out a botched robbery and became the basis for the iconic In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. And we'll discuss all the details and a little bit of controversy, Chris, on the book and, and how he perceived what happened. And that small town of Holcomb, you know, yeah. uh, some people were really, really in support and some were were very upset. So I'm interested to talk about this. And if it wasn't for a jailhouse snitch that came forward to talk <laughs> to the FBI, <laughs> I don't think we would have ever found out who killed this family. It was just too, you know, the, the forensics weren't there, and it was 1959. They were, gone, yeah, they were gone. They were in Mexico. I mean, if they were smart, they'd have stayed there and probably would have never got caught, you know. Um, I don't know, but... Anyway, Chris, this is definitely a case that some may not know much about, but what do you think? Do you think a lot of people are aware of the clutter uh, murders? I didn't even really know about it. I, I mean, I didn't know about it at all until you guys started talking about the book and shit. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I knew I of the book before I knew of the, the clutter, that name. You that's know? what I'm saying. I think if people uh, 
know the book and they have read the book just because or have heard of it yeah yeah then they know it but yeah i had no idea yeah so i think we're probably i still don't know a whole lot i was gonna turn some, some people out. on so i'm kind of going in this like wow that's all right that's all right <laughs> now joey i know you said you read the book a yeah. few years back um but what is it about this case you think that fascinates what fascinates you about it what why do you find <clears throat> this one interesting and a few years back as a fucking Definitely an understatement. It was <laughs> I haven't read the book in a long time. I read it whenever I was growing up because, you know, it was, as we said, considered like the first true crime, you know, book in the genre or whatever. And it's like fucking, uh, I mean, you read that and you understand, especially now that it's more of a fictionalized take of a true story. Right. It's not really fictionalized. It's just his, his completely his, biased take. Right. But that's cool. But so, you know, I grew up and I read the book and to me, that's what, uh, that's what was true. That was the truth. That was right. what I read story, in that yeah. book. And so then whenever we started talking about doing this and then, you know, I hadn't thought about it forever this time, we actually do the research and look into the actual case of the clutter family, like right. the real research and all mm -hmm. that shit. And it's like, okay, that's cool. What you got from, you know, Truman Capote, Capote's book. But at the same time, the actual story is just even way more fucked up. And you got to wonder, like, way back then, it was almost doled down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because if it had been too over-the-top brutal, like your horror-type like, novels, right. then maybe back then you couldn't have got any kind of press for it. It's or, possible. I mean, he wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's before this. Yeah. That was, like, his big famous piece. Um, but uh, So he was known... But this just blew it up. Yeah, I mean, he became sure. a, a household name right. after this book came out. Uh, so it's a really interesting one. Like you guys said, I didn't know a whole lot about the actual case. I had heard of the book. I recently read it um, just on my bookshelf. I was looking up something. I'm like, man, I need to read that. And I did. And I'm like, man, we got to do this one. This Hell is yeah. just such a good story. Um, but it is not a considered a factual account, as you pointed out. Um, and even Capote said, hey, this is a true crime novel. You right, know, some of the right. details, I mean, he had thousands of pages of notes. He had yeah, spent like a lot of time there. So he knew a lot about it. And, you know, I'm what I'm guessing is some people told him some things and then maybe regretted yeah. telling him those things because the Clutter family said, you know, the book was, had a lot of inaccuracies. I'll but. tell you what, if, if like some of our listeners and shit aren't big on reading and all that shit... A way that I relate what he did with that story is basically like the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. The way they spun that, you as know what I'm saying, real that, thing, as some real was, shit. Ooh, and then yeah. afterwards you watch it and you're like, okay, that was entertainment and right. scripted. And right. it's basically the same way he did it in book form back then. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... I that makes sense to me. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like your analogy. Right. I'm just not sure... If his is based that much in what didn't happen, because right, yeah. there's a lot of stuff in there. Like I said, the book is it's great, but like you said, if people aren't digging, you know, sitting down and reading a book, I'm sure it's on Audible. I didn't even right. look, but I'm I, sure it's I on there. Today and I I'm sure it's got to be it, on. Yeah, I can't is. imagine it, it wouldn't be on there. But it was longer than I thought it was going to be. So, oh, I sure. Almost, I did. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's probably nine or ten hours at it's least. Like Fourteen was it? So I'm anxious to talk about this one. Uh, now, Herb Clutter, he's the father. Uh, he was a farmer, a very wealthy farmer with a lot of land, 
Um, and he was a hardworking guy. I mean, he was, you know, very likable, uh, but a you know, old school, kind of stern. But, uh, you know, he was, you know, give anything to help people. His farm was called River Valley Farm. It was nearly a thousand acres. And he had several, you know, employees, you know, working, probably some seasonal and people, you know, moving through town. But uh, he was very well regarded in Holcomb, which, as I said, very small town, Chris, 279 people. Not big at all. No, you probably had more people than that at the nation on a weekend. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not quite that. <laughs> uh, about two thousand, though, in the last census, so it became a little bit bigger of a town since this happened. Uh, the nearest town is Garden City, which is where the police department was that showed up. That's right. where they went to church at the Garden City Methodist Church. Uh, you know, Herb was very religious. I uh, didn't smoke, didn't drink. How are you not going to smoke? Your names Herb. Right, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, he led a didn't say he didn't vape though. You know? That's true. Uh, led a very simple life, uh, not unlike many in that part of Kansas. So you know, back in that day, that was a little more common. Um, he was forty eight when this happened. It's funny too. You look at pictures; he looks like he's in his sixties. Yeah, because people then just seem to look older. I don't know what it is. Something but about they the do. picture quality. They didn't have. It yeah, all the right. pictures and the hairstyles and right. stuff makes him look older to us. Now, Mrs. Clutter Bonnie was forty five. Uh, she was very sickly, and that is one of the things the the Clutter family had issues with the book. They felt Capote made her sound too sickly, but. He claimed that what he put in the book was legit. So, again, you got differing opinions there. Um, But she did have health issues, and she was bedridden for times. Uh, They had four kids, but the two oldest were lucky. Yeah, they were moved out. Eviana and Beverly, they were gone. I think one was getting ready to get married right right after the book. Uh, So that would have been terrible. They went ahead with the wedding, but, man, what a bummer. You know, all your family's gone. Yeah. and uh, Nancy was 16. She was in the house. Kenyon, the son, was 15. Uh, they were there. Um, and what was crazy was the day before the murders the happened. day before. Yeah. Herb was visited by his insurance agent. Yeah. And he asked him if, you know, really kind of pushing him almost to buy the insurance, uh, life insurance. Another four. And Herb was really policy. careful about how he made decisions, really liked to think on it. And he wasn't going to sign the, the policy, but the guy was like almost like pushy about it. And he's like, all right. So he signed it and he gave him the check for the first payment or right, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's a $40,000 life insurance policy, double indemnity if he dies in an accident the day before this that's happened. I mean, crazy. that's fucked up. The salesman... Um, in the documentary I watched, um, you know, they reenact it. Blush. Thank you. And uh, he, the salesman said that, uh, you know, he had the check and he, he didn't did it, cash it yet. It but he just, you know, the, the, the insurance company didn't feel right not paying it. So they paid him, even though they really didn't have to, because it wasn't until the money's deposited, I guess, that the policy is considered started. We're, right. we're talking a long time ago if you have yeah. an insurance company having fucking... 
door to door <laughs> well yeah and then just fucking you know not fucking people over yeah, yeah that's that, for sure like that's them being sure. sympathetic to the cause and paying it out like right. you said they could have been like now like nowadays they'd been like er, nope that's not going nowhere well i mean i had a thing with state farm uh after the accident and they uh they actually paid out and they didn't have to yeah that's um good. so they were they were really good to me Hell so yeah. i guess yeah it's very rare nowadays but it's it, it uh, sometimes Companies yeah. do the right thing. If right? there's any insurance agents out there listening, we apologize. Right. <laughs> now, Chris, people didn't think about murders like this in 1959, a much simpler time. Uh, you know, they typically left their doors unlocked. Uh, we've talked about cases, though, from this time period, you know, mid-20th century. I mean, plenty of brutal shit went on. Yeah, like... Uh the fucking man from the train shit, dude. Yeah. Like back in the Albert day, Fish. I mean, there's been plenty of them, you know, H.H. H. Holmes from the early to mid 20th century that were yeah. downright and, awful. Gene. Yeah. Especially in the open Kansas in a town that small with less than 300 people. Right. Nobody's going to expect that to happen because everybody's no. know, knows everybody. Right. And that's right. really upset a lot of people was they were really upset that one of them did this, you know. They were just like completely blown away that like to think that one of the people there did it and they were like almost hoping it was some somebody from out of town like that you know so now capote spent a lot of time in the community of holcomb um you know when he talks about it in his book he goes into great depths about the town the people the the, the stories, the you know, legend, so to speak. I mean, very detailed setup of this whole thing to where when the murders actually happen, they're that much more brutal because the setup is this tranquil right. everybody's helping each other, doors are Utopia. unlocked. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's doing some bad shit. We're not in Kansas anymore. That's the truth, man. <laughs> and these fuckers come in and just completely fuck them up. Um, so to save some time here tonight, you know, most of the, the stuff he got into was typical small town stories and stuff, but very cool. Um, and of course people know a lot about each other in a town like that. You know, we've all, you know, even here living in Illinois, you know how small towns are, Chris, I mean, they very tight knit, don't like outsiders much, a little more, less trusting right. of people they don't know. Like, than, what are you doing in my town, boy? Right. But <laughs> in, like, Bloomington or bigger towns or cities, you know, you see less of that because people are from all over the place. Right, exactly. And they're not all from there, necessarily, so... Um, I remember but, <clears throat> whenever I lived in Dallas, I went and saw some comedian or whatever, and he was like, who here's from Dallas? And all these people are like, eh. He's like, bullshit, motherfuckers. Ain't nobody from Dallas. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it is. You know? That's funny. Like, man, every one of you is a transplant. Right? That's, <laughs> that's the truth, man. Um, so, you know, you're talking about a town of less than 300 people. I mean, they are definitely very close-knit, and everybody knows everybody. Um, in contrast, though, to the pure white bread clutter family in Holcomb, you have the convicts, Richard Dick, Dick Hickok, <laughs> Hickok. And, Hickok and Perry Smith, a fucking dynamic pins. duo here. Both had just recently got out of Kansas State Penitentiary in Lansing, Kansas, and they were looking to make some money. Dick was Get the one job, right? <laughs> Dick had a job, but he couldn't he- keep a job. Um, he was the one that found out about the clutter farm from his cellmate, Floyd Wells, 
And he becomes part of the story, a big part of the story later on. But Floyd Wells tells Dick Hickok about the farm and how he had worked there at a time and that Herb Clutter kept a lot of cash on hand at the house in a safe. Yeah. I know where I'm going. Right. I mean, and he had told Herb, or Herb had told him, uh, Floyd, that when he worked there, that it cost about $10,000 a week just to keep the farm going. So he's probably thinking, damn, there's a lot of money somewhere right. around here. But he assumed that there was you know, money at the house and that there was even a safe. He was wrong. Very wrong. And so Dick Hick- Hickok hatches this plan to rob the family and leave no survivors, uh, which, is, which is definitely a, a thing that becomes an issue between the two. Now, Joey, Perry Smith had a pretty rough childhood. Um, his parents were rodeo performers. Uh, he was half Native American, so at a time when that was not very acceptable, um, you know, had lots of issues. He had issues with bedwetting um, and other things. Uh, what's what's the deal with Perry Smith's upbringing, dude? Uh, Sound like he was a mess. Yeah, and it's basically it's just like you said. We've heard most every one of these issues before. Um, growing up at that time and being any kind of you know different nationality especially in fucking the middle of fucking white bread kansas right being half indian yeah you know you're fucking catching shit from people and uh i mean his parents being rodeo performers if that happened nowadays i'm gonna laugh at you so (laughs) so i mean i can imagine back then fucking with him but you know everything we say and then like the 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 physical fucking fuck you know things that were happening to him as far as the bedwetting and stuff i don't i don't know if it's just because we we talk about true crime and then we hear about the bedwetting because it's you know a possible link and all that but i don't ever hear any other stories about motherfuckers bedwetting late into their life right other than the serial killers other than murderers yeah yeah i agree it does seem to be something they point to and i know We've had Dr. Ramsland on before talking about that McDonald triad that has been debunked, apparently, right, yeah. weak science. But it does seem to be a common theme. You hear about the bedwetting, yeah. but whether it's only pointed out because they're killers or what, but... I think that's probably what it is. Yeah, it could be. Killers. It could be. It's like, hey, bro, you've been pissing your bed since you was like, <laughs> you know. And he had a quick temper, and uh, one of the childhood friends I saw in the documentary uh, mentions that he had a really quick temper. Oh, yeah, he was fucking quick to get in a scuffle. Right. Go fist to cuffs. That's right. <laughs> uh, Perry's mom left with the kids, so he didn't really know his dad who went by Tex. So not Tex our Smith. Tex. Not our Tex. No, different no. Tex from Kansas. Um she was an alcoholic and would die choking on her own vomit when he was very young. So you that's a pretty brutal. Chris is like, what a way to go. Pretty brutal way. So, Bob Scott, right? Right. <laughs> Hendrix. So Perry was raised in a Catholic orphanage and abused mentally and physically. So kind of Pansram shit going on. Yep. Manson. Uh, this would lay the groundwork for some violent outbursts as an adult. So that little scuffle you talked about earlier, Joey, getting a little more dangerous yeah. now. He's also extremely short with very stubby legs. Any picture you see, he's got his jeans like, you know, rolled up to where they're like, like would be oh, like geez. up to our like mid calf. You know, right. he's just really short legs. 
but he's just mean because he got fucked with a lot. Got that Napoleon complex, too. He does, man. He really does. Um, So, you know, he's definitely getting fucked with. The court psychiatrist had him and Dick uh, write a short bio about themselves to explain kind of where they came from. And Hickok talked about his attraction to young teenage girls in his statement, how he was ashamed of that. I'm surprised he even told him, honestly. Because up to that point, nobody ever knew about that but him. Right. And back then, nobody ever talked about that. No, not at all. Now, his wife was only 16 when they had their first child. So, I mean, you know, he's definitely had a thing for young teenage girls, not quite of age. But back then, and that That may have been been legal in Kansas. I don't know. Um, She mentioned that uh, he had thought of the idea of raping the teenage uh, clutter girl as a motivation for wanting him to go there. So in his own bio, he said that that was one of the major motivations for the whole thing. And, of course, he didn't tell Perry Smith about it. Yeah. Perry Smith's like, we're going to get some money. And (laughs) the guy's like, I'm going to get some pussy. (laughs) Right. Now, Chris, Dick Hickok is born poor in Edgerton, Kansas, but he has a fairly normal upbringing until that car accident, dude. He gets fucked up. Yeah. 1950, man. Fucked his head up, fucking disfigured him, and uh, like said, like talked about it before, like head injuries aren't good. Major head injury with this one. Major head injury. So who knows what his brain's thinking at any given moment? I mean, who knows what anybody's brain's thinking? Everybody said he was totally different after the accident. Right? Yeah. That's pretty terrible, man. You know, back then they may not have had, obviously didn't have what they have today, but. You know, maybe because he was poor, they didn't really give a fuck, you know, well, didn't he, do much for him. He had a permanent disfigure. If you look at pictures of him face on, you could tell something's off with one of his eyes. Right. Um, so he was, you know, and very self-conscious about that. I mean, pr- most people would be. Um, so, you know, another head injury story. And again, like the bedwetting, Joey, you wonder, yeah. you know, I mean, I had uh, my a railroad bike literally sticking out of my head. And I haven't killed anybody, so uh, that's not necessarily always true. Uh, well, were you wet in your bed until two days I ago? No, I don't believe so. No, I don't think that, that ever happened. Shit, so. I still piss a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Chris, Dick, you know, I mean, he's got, you know, a tough upbringing himself, and this head injury thing is definitely a, an issue with him also being very impulsive and, you know, fighting and just yeah, going nuts. in a bad way. Getting hit in the head like that? Fuck. Right. So these two, Hickok and Smith, become friends in prison. The idea hatched from there. Smith gets out first on parole. He goes to Vegas, but Hickok finds him. Um, he had been working, Hickok had been working in Olathe um, in an auto body shop. And uh, that's where he bought the supplies that they needed for the crime. Um, now, Swift, Smith was adamant. He really didn't want to kill anybody. And he was adamant about them using nylon stockings to, to hide their, their face. faces um, in hopes that they wouldn't have to kill them. And in the book, they spend like pages talking about these arguments the two had about buying these stockings because they were running out of money. Right. And Hickok's like, dude, we don't need them. We're going to kill these people. And he's like, no, I would rather not have to kill anybody. Like, Perry was like legit, like totally against 
any killing of any kind, you know, he wanted to get away without having to do that. You know? He's here for the money, man. Yeah, and Hickok was like, no, no survivors and all this stuff. So they even go as far as to stop at a Catholic hospital because they thought the nuns there would have stockings to sell them because every time they went <laughs> the to a fuck? store, they were out of black, and that's what they wanted to cover their faces. <laughs> it's like, like, can you find a paper bag if that's what you got to do? Like. It was just really weird. He spent like three or four pages talking about it. But you got to think, too, like Hickok, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go there on this fucking lick to get this money, but I'm also going to fuck this girl. There's no way. I'm killing these people because I'm not going to let them fucking tell anybody. Oh, I guarantee that, dude. Yeah, so. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. He wasn't planning on having to wear a mask because he knew nobody was going to be alive to tell about it. Um. So anyway, Hickok, you know, he's not for it. So they he figures his facial disfiguration would show through the mask anyway, uh, the stocking anyway. So he just didn't want to spend the money. So they continued on. But this is a 400-mile fucking trip. Joey, uh, Hickok recruits Smith to help him because he wants somebody that he thinks is going to be able to kill because of Perry's fast temper and violent streak. Right, I mean, they were in prison together. They, he knows fucking <clears throat> this guy's attitude and what he's about. Right. They fucking went over the fucking baseline of the fucking the heist together. They were both in for it. The fact that, you know, he found him out in Vegas showed dedication, you know. And Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, well, then this is, you're, you're my perfect fucking partner in this, I guess. <laughs> and I don't know, it's, it's weird because you... You, you don't want to have as many witnesses. So a lot of people, you know, don't want to do crimes with a lot of other guys or whatever. So you want less, the less people that know, the better, obviously. Right. But at the same time, man, how fucking, even back then, how freaky is that? I was like, okay, I'm going to go in this fucking farmer's house who's got money. So he's probably got fucking guns and everything else. You know what? So, uh, man, I, I would rather have somebody that got my back in that situation. That's probably oh, what yeah. he's thinking. Oh, you know yeah. What I'm saying? Yeah, it'd he, be dangerous to do that one alone. Exactly. You got a teenage boy there who was a big fucking kid. Yeah. You know, you basically got two adult two, males there. Right. So it could go south if you're just by yourself. And they would be armed. Being farmers, you got to know they got fucking weapons around that Definitely. house, you know. Back then, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, one of the things people didn't realize about Hickok was that whole thing we were talking about with the liking the young girls. Um, and of course he hears about Nancy being there from Floyd Wells. And so do you think that that was a big factor for him? That was for him. He was like, we're getting this money. Like Cash said, this girl's mine. And then he offered, like basically told Perry that. Yeah. You could have her when I'm done. Yeah. He's basically like, I'm going to go rape this girl. And then when I'm done, it's your turn. Perry fucking flipped the shit. Like, dude, fuck no, this isn't. Yeah. He was not about any of that. None of that. And according to the, the, you know, the two of them, it sounds like, you know, what Perry was saying was correct, that he really put up a fight and actually physically, got into an altercation with him like no dude we need to get the hell out of here like there's no time for that bullshit and then of course it goes it goes south from there (laughs) um but very very interesting um you know that uh you know he's got um you know this fucking guy with a fast temper and a fucking volatile situation like that i mean it's really no surprise that you know things happened the way they did. I mean, it just was like oil on a fucking fire, you know, just 
fuck. Those two together in that situation, yeah. it was just like the perfect storm, which is awful, you know, for these people. So November 14th, 1959, Perry Smith and Dick Hickok start that 400-mile trip from Dick's parents' house in Holcomb. Uh, they arrived in the early hours of November 15th. It took them a while to find the place. Uh, almost gave up, but the directions from Floyd Wells eventually... How are you going to get lost in a town of less than 300 people? Well, they lived off the beaten path. It was like a private road up okay. to their house. So okay, it wasn't they like... said, I mean, it, it took a little bit, especially in the dark. Yeah, okay. And no lights, you know, it's all dark where they're at. So, I mean, that'd be hard to find it. Uh, but they did, obviously. Uh, they did find it. And uh, Perry's very, very nervous about Dick repeatedly... He said the entire fucking drive out there, all they talked about was, you know, we're going to have to, no survivors, we're yeah. going to have to kill everybody. And Smith was just like, fuck that. You know, he just really didn't want to do that. Um, and there is a he's, little bit. He's like, we can go in here and just fucking rob these people, get the money, right. and not have to escalate any kind of violence. I don't know what the fuck your problem is, why you keep fucking saying. Exactly. Let us wear some masts, yeah. like I'm suggesting. Yep. And then and Dick Hickok, he's like, we're going in there, and we're going to fucking get the money, and then we're going to fucking wipe these fuckers out. Right. And it's not going to matter if they see our face. Yeah, because they've got a shotgun with them. They've yeah. got a big-ass fucking hunting, like, buoy knife. I mean, they're <laughs> they're ready to do some damage. Um, but Perry claims at least that he was not up for that. Um, I also read a little bit of speculation, Joey, that Perry Smith may have been gay, um, and that he might've had feelings for Hickok, but then I didn't see that anywhere else. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Did you stumble on any of that? I didn't really see that. And I know they wouldn't have wrote it in the, uh, the book back then. <laughs> no, especially with but, Capote being gay. But, right. But, but back uh, then that was more taboo. Yeah. But, yeah, for sure, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, they do say that, you know, when they did stop for prostitutes, you know, Perry never wanted to be a part of that. Who knows? I mean, it's not like everybody is up for prostitute. I mean, that to me, that's pretty fucking nasty, man. I don't, Hookers, weed, and beer, baby. I just, yeah, <laughs> no. So, I mean, I'm with them. If that was the deal, like, just like, no, that's just foul. You right? know, no. Um, but anyway, they're able to enter the clutter home through a side door. That led to Herb's office. So again, you know, like everybody else in town, doors are unlocked. You know, they go right in. Uh, they're looking around for the safe, figuring that's where it would be, but they can't find one. So now, you know, they're starting to flip out, like, where's the safe, you know? And the guy, I think, had actually described where in the room it was supposed to be, or he believed it was. Thought it would, yeah. And that's not anywhere. But that was the first place they looked. Of course, it's not there. I mean, they're they're basing everything off the words of a convict. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they're yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Neither of them had seen it, so they're no. just listening to how he's describing like, it. Oh, and he's a, he said over here. And like, he's a convict, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dick, you just got you committing more crimes just so you can come back. I just wanted again. you to come back and hang out. Right, with exactly. That's right. Tell me the story saying. about how old Nancy looked yeah. you know, <laughs> hanging those clothes out on the line. Um, but yeah, they're looking for a safe. They can't find one. So in the commotion, of course, Herb awakens. He comes downstairs. He confronts them in a nonviolent kind of way. Very like, what the hell are you doing in my house? I'm sure. But he was very agreeable with them. They were asking him, where's the cash? Where's the safe? He's like, guys, there's no safe here. I keep very little cash. 
I don't, I don't do that. Think there's fucking money here. Yeah, yet. like I'm not sure what you guys are looking for. And anybody apparently that knew her back then, he always used checks. He almost never kept cash on hand. He was all about p- putting the money in the bank where it's that safe. safe. And that's <laughs> the safe motherfucker was talking about. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's like, there's no safe here. Like we don't keep cash here. So anyway, they don't believe him. Or at least Dick didn't believe him. Uh, apparently, you know that's just how he was. So it, it wouldn't have surprised anyone else, the but they didn't off. know. Him. And they're getting pissed off. Um, so they don't know how that Floyd got the idea that it was a safe. Um, and I think it was because he thought there was all this money to keep the farm going every week, as he right. told him, and he just figured that there was, there cash, was cash laying around. You know, not checks. Right. So Perry, he cuts the phone line coming in. So they got no phone now. Apparently there was only a phone in the in that room. Uh, they went upstairs and woke up the, the mother. Phone, right? I <laughs> might have been. I'm just, I, mean, it might have I don't been. know, man. Uh, they went upstairs, uh, woke up the mother, Bonnie, and the kids and put them in the bathroom up there with Herb so they could figure out what the fuck they were going to do. They decide to one at a time take him out of that room and tie him up and put him somewhere. So they take uh, Herb first, put him in the furnace room down in the basement. And, you know, they talked about how Perry and more than Hickok was like trying to make him comfortable by putting that refrigerator box down. Right. Like they felt bad or he felt bad making the guy lay on the concrete floor like that's fucked up because this is the dude that fucking slits his damn throat right, here yeah. in a minute. You know what I mean? So it's just fucked up. And then they put Kenyon in the other room of the basement where like the game room was on a on a couch. Right. So he's, you know, obviously as comfortable as you're gonna be tied up waiting to die, but you're at least laying on a couch <laughs> and not a cold floor. Um because you know this ain't gonna work no, out. No, this is favorite. not gonna go good. Now they take uh the mother Bonnie and they tie her up in her room and then they do the same with Nancy in her room. So they're all in separate rooms. And, you know, again, Kenyon's a good sized fucking kid, you know, and he's tied up with everybody else. They're asking her one last time, like, dude, where the fuck is the money? Where is the safe? And he fucking tells him, you know, that there's none of that at the house. He's very emphatic about it. And Hickok is just intent on killing them so he doesn't go back to prison. But now the problem is... doesn't murder get you sent to prison? Right. (laughs) And, like, you're not going to get anything out of this. You know, like, what the fuck, dude? There's no money there. Um, Joey Smith and Hickok get into a little scuffle once that whole rape discussion goes on. In Perry's words, Dick told him he wanted to, quote, bust her box out. (laughs) That's fucked up. I thought that's fucked up. But, like, how fucking just gruff is that in a conversation um and once they realized there wasn't money there smith just wanted to leave yeah and smith i mean his whole thing was he didn't want to kill nobody in the first place he's fucking mad as fuck now because they come all this goddamn way right and there's no fucking safe full of money they're not fucking they're out of money so they don't even probably have very far they can get they probably can't even get fucking back and uh you know and fucking hickok he still has fucking 
other ideas in his head and he's saying oh we can fucking you know get this girl right and fucking perry smith's like bro if i want some pussy i just go fucking bash out bonnie's box over there (laughs) but instead i just we need to get the hell out of here right but yeah they were like they were going tit for tat over that now if you guys are that fucked anywhere, I mean, I don't know. I guess you drove in there together, but fuck. If I'm Perry, like, okay, well, I'm going to split them. Fuck right. Just fucking bounce. leave them Yeah, there. this whole yeah. fucking shit was bullshit. I'm out of here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, in retrospect, that would have been the best thing he could have ever fucking done, you know? Right. But things get a little fucking south, Chris. Uh, you know, the little bit of money they actually had there... Like- 50 bucks was I all mean, like yeah like 50 anybody. bucks of some cash I mean, that the wife had in her purse and the daughter i think had a little money yeah maybe they all did but when 50 bucks for christ's sake on the run even in 1959 oh, that wasn't a lot of money dude no like, no come on man pair of binoculars and a portable radio they took so uh some people think that neither of them would have done this alone but with the two of them together like we were saying they kind of Oh yeah, gas storm. on a fire, and they I just fucking. Don't think boom. Perry w- I don't think Perry would have ever done anything like this on his own. No, I don't Dick, think so. Maybe, but I don't. But the two of them together. Like fuck I said, yeah. I felt like like Hickok needed a fucking another somebody with him to fucking push him. Otherwise, yeah. I, I don't know if he would have had the fucking guts to go through with it. Himself. No, not alone. I mean, that's a pretty ballsy thing to do. I mean, I don't in know that time in the country for some farmer's house. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know about you're the walking details. into some shit you it. may never fucking leave. You know? with it, yeah. I don't know the details of the crimes he was in prison for in the first place. Right. So maybe he was in there for fucking, you know, armed robbery and shit. But uh, I don't know. The, the way that he fucking made sure he had somebody go with him on this is just... It, had it, right. it just seemed I think he was mainly in prison for the bad checks, wasn't it? I don't know that Hickok really did anything beyond right, so that. Th- then even nonviolence. So. Right. I think so. I'm not 100% on that. But anyway, not much they're getting out of this thing. It's just what a terrible you know reason for this thing to just keep going. So the two go through the entire house while the family's tied up. They're getting fucking pissed. There's no cash like they were told. There's no fucking safe. They go down to the basement, and and Perry Smith cuts Herb's throat with a hunting knife that he brought. And what he said was as he was doing it, he was envisioning it was fucking dick. And he was cutting his fucking throat because he was so fucking pissed Pissed off off that he put him in this situation yeah yeah, Yeah. you're wanting to fucking rape this fucking poor girl for christ's sake dude like what the fuck is going like we need to get out of here now you know this is bad like we said yeah and i think he just snapped at that moment and he just fucking started stabbing him which is fucked up because anybody that's watched any of those like al-qaeda videos that is a awful yeah. fucking thing to happen yeah. so i can't imagine the terror that would be going through your mind while that shit is going on this is just like psycho shit like beyond yeah. what are you doing so it's so crazy how perry like literally snapped and did that and then he handed the knife to dick and he says you do it and he fucking did it too but they perry said like he kind of half did it and he really didn't cut him worse than what he had already cut knife in the wound. Yeah. And then that's when the shotgun came out and, um, Hickok, he, Perry tells him, shoot him. He'll put him out of his misery. The guy's obviously in pain and Hickok wouldn't do it. And then Perry took it and just fucking shot him. But he said when he shot him, the light from the muzzle, 
you could see the look on his face as he knew he was oh, getting it. It's like that fucked with him like forever. He like had dreams about that and it really fucked with him seeing him in that light right before he fucking died and then his head fucking exploding. I mean, that's fucked up. Really, really fucked up. Um, he shoots him with a Savage Stevens 30 shotgun. Uh, that's the one Dick brought with them. Um, and he would later be haunted by that. And who would blame him? I mean, that's fucked up. Yeah, fucked up. Uh, he told police later that, um, you know, he thought of Herb as a nice guy. And that's like I said, he put him down on this fucking uh, paper or a cardboard box, which winds up fucking him, which we're going to get to here in a minute. Um, so Smith would then shoot Kenyon in the head as he laid up on that couch in the basement um, it's a bit unclear. It sounds like Hickok was the one who shot both Bonnie and Nancy, but it's a little con- convoluted because at first Smith owned up to all four murders because he felt bad for Dick's mom. He really liked her and he didn't want her to go through that through him with him penalty. getting executed. So Smith was like, I'll just fucking take it, you know? Right. But then later he comes out and says, no, that he shot the two boys or the men and uh, Hickok shot, shot the, the, the two women. That's what he claimed after he said he did them all. So it's hard to say exactly where that truth is there. Um, a family friend winds up stopping uh, at the house to pick up Nancy for church that next morning. And that's when they find the bodies and they're like, what the fuck? The Garden City Police were the ones to come on the scene and see that shit. And Joey, what I find amazing is that nobody heard these shotgun blasts. I mean, these are four shotgun blasts <clears throat> in the middle of the night on an open fucking plane where it, it there goes, were people it that were yeah. within reasonable range <clears throat> of hearing this. But how did that happen? I mean, I think, you know, it's crazy that one couple winds up selling their house just because they were so traumatized yeah, they were so that it happened out. and they couldn't help them and that they didn't hear any. No- like he the old man said, like, I think he was even awake. Yeah. He's like, I didn't hear anything like I he just felt so terrible and guilty that he could have maybe helped or saved them. But really, but what was he going to do? But, you know, so it was like very leave, upsetting yeah. and they really knew them well. And they wound up moving. They're like, we can't deal with this. This is just upsetting. It's not like there's fucking lots of people in that area. You know, I no. mean, some people could have heard it, but it's not like they were in a fucking uh, a town or something. Yeah, they're so not like, like in a subdivision where they're like 20 feet from right. their neighbor. So the possibility that... A couple it, of cornfields away, yeah. maybe. At that time, at that moment, you know, the possibility is maybe the wind wasn't moving right or something, and maybe you that, couldn't have heard it at that wind. time. Sure. Uh, yeah, because it would have been like 2 in the morning yeah. or something like that. That. And then you got to think shit like fucking, you know, Ron DeFeo and fucking he goes around, shoots his whole family and nobody fucking heard anything. They're all in their beds. That's and shit. true. So it's like a lot closer. Right. So there's there's weird instances where, where there's gunfire and there's no re- response to it. Nobody heard anything. Uh, I know because yeah, all these people have dogs, too. Yeah. And you'd think a dog would fucking start barking here and yeah. that kind of shit going on. Like, I, I know for sure, like a few of the Ramirez fucking attacks, like the same thing. He used gun and, right. and shot him. And but there was no and these are in fucking neighborhoods. Sure. And nobody heard fucking anything. Sure. Good point. Good point. 
Speaking of Ramirez, man, the fucking sick Rick masks. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see ours. We're getting the one with the bloody fucking pentagram on his head. So amazing. So Rick posted some pictures about it. It's going to be really cool. But it's amazing, Chris, that they didn't hear No, it is fucking like, because they're out, like you said, their house is off to this out the beaten path or whatever. Right. There might have been people close enough, but they're getting shot inside their house. So that's going to open the noise too and block True. the distance away. Yeah, and, and it was November, so it would have been cold. So you probably wouldn't have had windows open at right, that point right. maybe. So perfectly legit. Yeah, I mean, you're in your house and maybe like Joey said, the wind's just right. Um, I mean, that's, that shit happens far enough like away. Up I where mean, I grew up, I lived two and a half miles outside of town. There was and there was a, there's a racetrack in February. You know that. Oh yeah. If the wind wasn't blowing right on Saturday nights, we couldn't hear the races. But if it was oh, blowing wow. right on other nights, it was loud as shit at my house. Oh, I'm sure. Like yeah. for real. Yeah, Same that's with, crazy. Uh, the football games, like yeah. oh, there sure. were times in Forest I could hear the football games from Fairbury, only yeah. certain days. Yeah, I'm that way with the Hayworth team right. when they play. It's the same thing. Some nights it seems like it's louder than other. Uh, Joey's having some difficulty over there with the dude. I try to stay away from yeah. that. He's he's playing with these little figurines on the. Uh, no, the worst thing is I'm not playing with them. I'm just fucking smacking oh, them. Oh, you're on just accident. knocking them over. But <laughs> yeah, they're so easy to hands. tip over. Yeah. And, like, the King Diamond one and the Slayer one have, like, props that yeah. fall off and <laughs> the swords and the up inverted cross fucking mic stand and all that good fucking stuff. Right. All right. So very soon after the murders happened, the story caught the attention of author Truman Capote, who was very interested in it. Uh, the idea it happened in such a rural area just seemed to fascinate him. And he went to Holcomb with his longtime. This is just such a crazy coincidence here. Uh, she's a friend and fellow author, Harper Lee. She had just recently completed her bestseller, To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, that's that's like the holy grail of literature in the modern 20th century. Right, you know, right. that's that's a big deal. And it's she huge. had just written this, but it wasn't published yet. So she was like literally on the verge of being like megastar, yeah. you know. And so here he's coming starting with her book. because yeah. he figured. He's very gay and literally and flamboyant, and he thought, that's not going to fly in Holcomb, Kansas. So he brought her with him. It's kind of ironic because she's a lesbian, but she was, you know, obviously easier to speak with the locals than he would have been very flamboyant. But once he got to know people, they loved him there. I mean, he was actually very well... You know, again, there were some dissenters, but there were a lot of people that were really happy he was there and treated him like royalty. You know, I mean, it was it was a uh, because uh, he was obviously getting the story of his life and they were getting a voice. You know, they didn't want it to be forgotten. You know, right. uh, there were some people that felt it was good that he was there drawing all this publicity. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but he's making our town look, you know, <clears throat> fucked up. And, you know, they made this thing seem like it was an eternity, but they caught these fucking dudes in six weeks. So, I mean, honestly, that's pretty fucking good. I mean, especially talking about 1959 in a rural part of the country. It's funny, you know, you're talking about To Kill a Mockingbird and uh, this kid I work with that that he just started working not too long ago. Yeah. His name's Atticus, so. Oh, nice. I'm like. Every time I say his name, that's you know that's all I'm thinking, and right. so I, I I and he's young, you know, so I walk up to him I'm like, hey man, I'm like, 
you know who Atticus Finch is, right? And he was like, oh, of course, man. He yeah. was like, my parents are a huge Harper Lee fan. They love the book, so that's oh, why nice. they named me that. And I was like, that's cool, you oh, know? Oh, that is pretty he cool. He was like, my sister's name is Scout. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. yeah that's a trip. That's funny. <laughs> um, so it is a, a very interesting, you know, tag team with these two. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they eventually, you know, like you said, compile thousands of notes from talking to you know, all these different people. Um, but when they're there, they're not caught yet. So they're there right in the beginning. Like I said, this only lasts six weeks. Um, the book would actually be published years later in 1966. Um, and it becomes a huge success. I mean, like I said, it became, you know, a sensation. Truman Capote became a, you know, big author right, in his own yeah. right, you know. Uh, so she, Harper Lee did, and then he did, you know, it was like kind of a one-two um, but you know, Chris, some would question why he waited that long to publish it. Um, some would say, you know, it was maybe because he wanted them to actually be executed. That way they couldn't. So he had an ending. Him. Yeah. I just think, uh, he wanted the true facts on a story that he wanted to write. Like, like you said before, it was a true crime novel. It's not actual right. factual thing. Right. So he wanted to see how it ended so he could make the ending of the story true maybe not everything's fact sure that's basically what i think no i agree dude i think he did it uh so that um you know he could see a conclusion he didn't want to end it right. with not an ending like he's still rotting in prison done, you know yeah. type thing they weren't on death row all that long but you know years is to, to somebody sitting on death row that's a long fucking time to be sitting there and, you know, some of these guys, like in California, they're 20, 30 years on death row because they're not executing anybody right. in the state of California anytime soon. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that's probably the what happened. He just waited to make sure it like was I over with. I want the story to be have the right ending. It might right. not all be true, but whatever. And there I were some. my own shit. Right. And there were some, though, like always with any story, there were some people that said no. He did it so that they were dead, and then the book would come out so they wouldn't contradict, they being the yeah. two that were executed, um, going to contradict uh, what he's claiming. So I don't know. Uh, the police were baffled since there were very few clues behind. They looked into Herb Clutter, found you know nobody in his family had any issues with anybody. Um, it was an accident that a police photographer actually caught a picture of a shoe print on a box that was not visible to the human eye, but the way the camera caught it, I'm you glad. could distinctly see the print. And it's like the clue that winds up doing them in. But what's fucked up is that's from the box he laid down so Herb yeah, wasn't laying yeah. on the concrete. So it's got a fucked up irony to it, you yeah. know? Um, there was another partial print in blood on the basement floor of a shoe. So they had both of those things. Um, but these would be the only break they'd really get. Uh, the killers were careful. They picked up their shells. Um, they didn't leave any kind of things behind other than the partial print in blood and the one on the, on the box that they didn't even know about until they developed these pictures because you couldn't see it. It was just the way it glared off that box. It brought it out, and that was the way they were able to pin it on them. So very, very interesting stuff. And again, 
Got a fucking tip of the cap to these detectives, man. That's impressive shit. Right. Especially back then with the camera quality, yeah. like we were talking about earlier. And like, I think it was, shit. if not, a, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like the chief that did it because this is a small town. So Would like he was an avid photographer, half? I think. He was like a, a it was like a, it was hobby. a hobby. So be, when, you know, small town needs somebody to take the pictures, I'm pretty sure it was the chief that actually did that, which, again, just cool job. Great luck, but, you know, awesome call to make that, take that picture. Right. Um, once they uh, left Holcomb, uh, Smith and Hickok fled to Kansas City. Uh, that's when fucking Hickok's going crazy passing all these bad checks. I mean, what a <laughs> bullshitter. To walk in these places and walk out with money, you know, it's like, I don't know. He looks so shady. I can't imagine there'd be that <laughs> many people that would fall for it. Robbing people, though. Here's a check. Yeah. Give me money. Yeah, and I mean, he's writing these bad checks. And they gather as much money as possible, and then they make it to Mexico, which that was Smith's plan all along, was to get down there, start new lives. He wanted to do the Shawshank Redemption thing. He wanted to buy the boat and take people on tours. Same exact thing. I guarantee you that's where Stephen King got that idea. Uh, I can't imagine. It's just too too similar. Um, And not that there's anything wrong with that. I think true events like we've talked so many times do spawn some really good fiction you know that just about every story you could think of as a matter of fact i was going to suggest that for october would be to do stories that inspired you know true stories that inspired films and books and stuff and i was going to talk to you guys about a couple of different movies i was going to suggest and have you guys suggest them too and just do that for october so yeah that was just the thought i had um, so yeah, the clutter house, you know, they didn't get much out of them. Um, they sold Hickok's car and the binoculars to a pawn shop while they were in Mexico. Uh, Hickok also, uh, had the writing, the bad check thing. So he's got some of that money and Hickok is just pissing it away though on drinking Frick and prostitutes. Partying, bro. Come on, man. And they don't last, the money doesn't last too long no. when Hickok's in charge of it. So they hitched and traveled all over the fucking place. I mean, they were in fucking California, Florida. Eventually, they get to Las Vegas, but they're bouncing all over the place. And, Joey, the cops would get very lucky with a little jailhouse snitch. What was the deal with that? Yeah, fucking, uh, you know, they're talking to, I can't remember what his name is now. Floyd Wells. Floyd Wells, his fucking Hickox old fucking cellmate. The right. one that told and, him about the same right. so money he, you know, he said he was in his cell and he heard it on the radio and he hears about it the murders. On the news and they hear about the clutter murders because he went to the warden and he was like, "Holy shit!" It was like I was just talking about that plan with this guy that just got paroled, fucking right here. So you know he was able to give them up right there. They had yeah, everything. in exchange for a lot of time off his sentence, too, right? Because he got out not that long. Yeah, after I mean, that. as soon as he heard that, he was like, "Cha-ching, I'm getting yep. out." But uh, it's, I mean, it's crazy to me. I don't understand. You, you hear all the fucking stories of the fucking criminals. They're fucking trying to get to Mexico, trying to get to Canada or wherever, and they just they catch them like near the border or whatever. These guys made it. Like they were down there. And they, and they pro- came back. Yeah, I doubt they would have fucking got apprehended down there for these crimes. Not back then. I wouldn't no. think. Back then, it's like, okay, no, you're in a different country now. Yeah, I don't know what the extradition was like at this time but in they, Mexico. Right, but they said, fuck it. They fucking came right back into the fucking United States themselves. And, you know, 
where are you going? You're going to go to California and you're going to go to fucking Vegas and Florida. It's like every, every one of those is fucking trouble. Yeah. I mean, they were all over the place and it's amazing. They got as far as they did, but you're talking about a time when, you know, people weren't using credit cards, you know, cell phones took forever to get to the, yeah. I mean, it'd be easy to skip around Henry Lee Lucas style and just drift around. So they did a pretty good job of that stuff. Um, and so, um, Smith winds up shipping his stuff from Mexico to a post office because Hickok was fucking with him right. the entire time about this suitcase. He had all these important things like pictures of his family and shit like that. And Hickok was like, dude, what this, the fuck do you need all that shit for? You know, he's giving him no, a bunch of shit. This is my shit. Fuck you, man. Yeah. So finally he gets sick of asking, you know, dealing with it. So he ships him uh, from Mexico to a post office in Las Vegas. And I guess there was a thing at that time where they would like store it for you for right. a period of time. And then you just come get it. Right. I can't remember. It had a name. I, I didn't think to write it down. And now I can't remember what it is. But anyway, um, you know, Hickok was giving him all this shit. And in that shipment were the boots he was wearing <laughs> From the clutter murder, Fuck, so yeah. it's like dumbass. You know? FBI already knows who they're looking for, so. right? Because once Wells tells them their names, yeah. they start going to. Well, they go to where um, Hickok was from, and they go to his parents' house. They see the shotgun there in the like up against the wall in the house, right? And so they didn't take it, but they knew it was there because it was the same brand and everything. What they were looking for, so they're like, it's too much a coincidence. That's probably it. And um, I can't remember how they found it. the knife. Well, they wind up taking it later. I but know, not it was right just then. weird off top. It's yeah. Like, especially back then, it's like, oh, that's a murder weapon, mine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was surprised, too, but I think they just felt like these people were so chill. Yeah. And they were chill that they weren't going to do anything crazy. True, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they wanted to do it by the book and get a search warrant and yeah. come and get it. But anyway, um, you know, they wind up shipping the stuff back. And uh, with the boots in it. So the FBI, of course, know their names and they're able to trace their steps with all these bad checks they were writing or he was writing Hickok. And that money, making his hustle. <laughs> they wound up finding the pawn shop in Mexico, which is very impressive. And that helps them figure out who these guys are. Um, and then uh, once they knew that Smith had been living in Vegas. They somehow figured out that this shipment from Mexico was going to Vegas and they staked out the post office and then he eventually came to get his shit. So that's how they wind up getting him. Of course, he gets the package. Boom, the cops show up. The KBI, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, and they uh, arrest him there. They've got the you know, the suitcase or the package. They the package go in that. Sent with all the Boom, shit in here's it, yeah. the boots. Holy shit, same brand, every size, everything fits. So they knew they had their guys. So um, they get busted, and it's fucked up because it's all, or it's all because of uh, the fact he was nice and put the guy down on the cardboard box and, <laughs> and then, then stepped on got, it. Yeah. That's what wound up, up catching him. Yeah. He stepped on it when he's cutting his throat, pretty much. Probably. Um Smith would wind up shipping the belongings. He gets them, and that's what does it, man. I just find that very funny. I think it's just like so rich with irony of right. like, God damn, what was the oh, what was the one uh, the uh, 
the 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 one with the boyfriend that mailed the knife back to his parents. Oh out. yeah, well, I can't oh, remember what Jesus that was. Christ. That was hilarious. Yeah, though. that was hilarious. But uh, yeah, that was the. I'm trying to think of the name of the episode. Fuck, the, I can't remember. The name is slipping me now, but it'll it'll hit me in a second. Yeah, mailed the fucking murder. Yeah, weapon. mailed the murder weapon. To it was himself. the one. With, wasn't it the one with the boy and the girl down yeah. in Florida, and they took off? No, or? they were in uh, they were in Missouri, and the mom said that she had cancer, and but she didn't, and. Oh. Dude, yeah, I what the hell? I know that's like that. right out of my fingertips, oh. and I can't think of it. But uh, yeah, the uh, that store, Gypsy Rose, Gypsy Rose, Gypsy that's Rose it. Blanchard. Yeah, duh. God damn. But her boyfriend mailed the knife, so it, it reminded me of that. I just thought it was funny. Um, but it's amazing, you know, that they were able to uh, to figure it out. I've just I'm really impressed with the job these guys did to catch him. Um, everyone in Holcomb is obviously very happy that the killers are caught. Six weeks, I think, is impressive even today, let alone, you know, back in 1959. And, uh, you know, the, that they weren't locals. They were glad, you know, that they weren't yeah, from they within. Find, they were just got out of prison and came here for yeah, just for this. Exactly. Um, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation agent Alvin Dewey, he was the big player in this one. He was uh, driven to catch them. He had become very friendly with Truman Capote, had him over for dinner uh, many times with him and his wife and kids. Uh, they were very chummy, and he was very helpful in getting Truman the audience of the two suspects. Like, they got to talk to them while they were arrest- you know, in jail. Incarcerated, so yeah. they had, like, all sorts of... Him and Harper Lee had all sorts of access to both of them, and that was an exclusive thing. So in turn, you know, they were helping each other out, and that's all well and good because, like I said, he compiled so much information from uh, being able to meet with them and talk to them like that. Like thousands of pages, and like I said, upper of 8,000 pages. Of I wouldn't doubt it, that. dude. I wouldn't doubt that's it. It's a lot. Um, he would... Uh, once they caught them, um, they go down to or go up to Vegas to get them. Uh, Alvin Dewey leading the way, and they're all excited in the KBI that they caught him. Uh, they drive to Vegas and actually get the confessions. He, he drove in the vehicle with Perry, and he said Perry told him all about what happened. Like He totally spilled it like, on the way. Because he felt bad about the whole thing anyway. He did. He felt a lot of guilt about it, and he. I'm just here for the money. You want all this other shit to happen? Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure he spilled everything. Yeah, and a long trip like that, if you're ready to break down, I mean, that's that's going to do it, you know. Um, Since they wanted to keep them separate in jail, they get them to Garden City, which is obviously a small jail. They've got Hickok with the men, and in the upstairs where the where the uh, sheriff and his family lived. I thought this was crazy. They get a cell. Up there with a feet for a female because they had so rarely had them. Right. And then it was right next to their kitchen with like a window, like you could see inside the cell. It's kind of fucked up. And that's how they served the meals and stuff up there. That's fucking crazy. And the sheriff's wife would cook and she got to know Perry Smith very well. And I can't remember what his favorite dish was, but she made it for him all the time. She was like really nice to this guy and said he was very, very. Not what you would expect of somebody that would do that. And when that. you think of somebody that did that horrible shit. Yeah, there was people. a bird it was or a squirrel. It was a squirrel that he was like, like came and fed it, like hand fed it and like became like his friend. And 
she was just like you wouldn't imagine a guy that did this kind of stuff and wrote right, exactly. read a lot wrote i guess a lot of letters and stuff probably so. polite and fucking very yeah very polite saying. so it was just so odd and she felt so bad to know that he had done this terrible thing and that here's her family like on the other side of these bars. I mean, it's no, that's fucked just up. fucking weird. Man. It is fucked Could up. Could you imagine that? that no, that's, I mean, yeah, not that, at all. Weird. That like you have a. Per- I mean, I get it. It was for supposedly for female. Right. Still gen- though, gen- I mean, that's where he kept his females yeah, locked up. Fucking goddamn <laughs> David Parker race, <laughs> right? So Alvin Dewey is uh, is fucking all pumped up. They go pick him up, um, and so. They've got him, you know, Hickok's down in the men's uh, part of the jail, and he's talking all kinds of shit, acting like a celebrity, fucking telling the stories. Like, yeah. Fuck he's it. a fucking fool, man. And, Chris, it's crazy how they did that back then with the inmates living in the living quarters. That's oh, no, just that's weird. what I'm saying, dude. That's what I was just saying. Yeah. Fuck that, man. <laughs> ain't doing yeah. that. I mean, we were just talking last week, Chris, about uh, with Alcatraz, where the inmates, you know, are there, and then you got the warden and his family and some of the guards oh, yeah. and their all, families in, like, barracks. The same you know? island, yeah. Yeah, that. I mean, that's fucked up. But this is in your house. It's just that's like a true, cage man. in your house. That's and your true. your kid's walking around like, Oh, we got another pet. When's this one going to die? <laughs> right? Yeah, just so fucked up. Um, but Capote and Smith, you know, they uh, they become very friendly. Um, and an army bunny of uh, Perry Smith, Don Cullivan, uh, read a Time Magazine article about the murders and couldn't believe that when he saw Perry Smith's name, they were very close in the army. Um, you know, he actually wrote to Smith and Smith replied and was all about, you know, yeah, I'd love to see you. And he flew out there. His wife thought he was fucking crazy. Wait, you're going to see this? Yeah, dude. this guy just killed this family. Like, what the hell is wrong Why with do you? you? And go see him? He just felt so bad because he knew he didn't have anybody else. Like, he didn't have parents. I don't know if he had siblings and if they were, like, if they had anything to do mentioned. with them. I mean, he's pretty much, like, completely on his own. And this yeah. guy knew that from being in the Army with him. And they got close. They were overseas in, uh, I'm assuming, World War II or right. would have been maybe Korea. I'm not sure. Um, well, Korea would have been later. So, yeah, it would have had to have been World War II. Um, he flew to Kansas uh, to see him, and uh, the judge let him sit beside Perry during the trial. He was supposed to speak, and I think he did for like 30 seconds, and they said he was like overruled and like you're done and you're done. You go sit down. Yeah, like you get no so say. Like, are you why fucking are you... kidding me? Like I flew out here. Like I've been out here for days. Can like I talk, my wife's dude? mad at Come me. On. You know that I'm even here and now you you know I can't testify on his character when I knew him when I was in the army with him. He was a different guy, and you know talking about the whole childhood issues and stuff like that. Um, you know Capote felt bad for him and actually kind of took a liking to him maybe i don't know if it was in a, in a sexual way or what the deal was but they became very close and one of the things was how short he was because capote was really short i think capote was even a little shorter than he was um yeah. so really small and that seemed to have a bond and uh, also the fact that he had such a terrible childhood capote just felt really bad and i guess i don't think he had the greatest childhood if i remember right uh, grew up in a real poor situation. So he had a lot in common with him. 
Um, and he interviewed him and Hickok at great length. And as we said, had all these notes and stuff. Um, so he really had a lot of information to sift through to write this book. Uh, the trial is a circus. You can only imagine a little town like this, Garden City, Kansas, with media fucking crawling the place. Uh, but no surprise, you got Perry Smith and Dick Hickok. Uh, you know, big crime, all news nationwide at the time, I'm sure. Uh, there were newspaper people and TV people from all over the world, I think, there. Um, but they're found guilty. No big surprise there. They try an insanity defense, but they, they're not buying that shit. Less no, than half broken. an hour, man. They, they were like, like, no, nah, you're, you're you guilty. guys are going to die. Fuck right. Man. Now, the court psychiatrist, I saw an interview with him on one of the docs I watched. He felt that Hickok's head injuries were a huge factor. And that Smith was a diagnosed psychotic, in his opinion. This is a doctor. Um, he said that in both cases, that would have been mitigating circumstances in the penalty phase of any kind of trial. And he really felt that they should have taken that into much more consideration right. in the way maybe just giving them life and not actually death. I don't know. To me, that's worse. I'd rather just fucking die and get it over and with and fucking sit there prison. like that for return. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'll take uh, my own. Yeah, fuck that. Uh, the court psychiatrist, you know, that's what he's claiming. Um, but the court just seemed to blow it off and said, no, I don't fucking think so. So after multiple stays and appeals for five years, so pretty short period of time yeah. in yep. today's standards, like 20 and 30 years, right. uh, they like, were both executed in prison now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, Very few are doing any kind of executions. Uh, They were both executed on the same day, April 14, 1965, at the Kansas State Penitentiary uh, in what they called the Death House. I don't know if you guys watched anything on that, but the building is shaped like a coffin. It's pretty fucked up. (laughs) That is fucking awesome, though. Like it's where you do the executions and you make it shaped like a coffin. Yeah, that's that, some. Uh, yeah, that's some pretty barbaric yeah, shit that's there. Some, like, yeah, that's welcome, harsh. That's welcome. harsh. But uh, that's what they called it was the death house, um, and they both ate their final meal separate, and they ordered spiced shrimp, French fries, garlic bread, and ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. Wait, so, they both ordered the same thing. I guess, or they both had to order the same thing. I don't it really know. Been, yeah. Probably that. You know, you get, it's like look, I'm not going to Burger King and Taco Bell. You know, yeah, it's like a, or like an airplane <laughs> meal. You get the fish, or you get the steak. There yeah. you go. It could have been. Yeah, that's very possible. Um, but anyway, Hickok was smiling when he went to the gallows. Said he felt no Ill, Ill, Ill will toward the police, shakes their hands, and just simply, as his final word says, goodbye, and that was it. That's fucking crazy. Really fucked up. But Perry Smith, visibly shaken, who can blame him, uh, spoke about how he felt capital punishment was wrong in his final you're about words. To die. Of course, <laughs> right? you're saying that. He was very, you know, he has like a whole paragraph. I was thinking about reading it, but it's kind of, it goes on and on. Um, Capote was there to witness it and openly wept when Smith was hanged. So he was there. Uh, Joey, I thought it was kind of funny that they're both buried side by side. 
you got to think fucking Smith is jacked the fuck off <laughs> that this idiot put him in this situation like right now for him. eternity. Yeah. I got to lay next to this. I got to live with this guy for It's kind of like probably fucking tongue-in-cheek to the fucking prison staff. and they were It like, could be, man. It's like sticking a fucking husband with his nagging old wife for, the, for eternity. You know what I'm <laughs> like, here, you thought you got away from him, but nope. There you go. <laughs> now you got to deal with him forever. Yeah, it is pretty fucked up. I mean, that's kind of cool if you want to go see the fucking the graves. Yeah, there. you, you can see can them together. One and they're both right there. Right, right. <laughs> um, I know Brian Ward has been to the uh, to the site. Uh, he actually went to the uh, county, the the sheriff's office, oh, yeah. and they let him look through some files, and he saw no some shit. pretty brutal that's shit. Um, but uh, apparently, they were totally cool about it. So that that's cool. I thought about trying to get Brian on here, but with schedules and everything crazy, it just it, I didn't even ask him. I, I feel bad because I know he knows a lot about this, but Brian knows so much about so much true crime. Right. So I know he's doing his own podcast now, and, and, of course, he's the guy behind the Dark History Convention, so he's a cool dude. Um, their bodies were actually exhumed uh, in 2012 in hopes that a cold case that happened in December of 1959 in Florida, this one was fucked up, in the same area where Smith and Hickok had been while they were on the run at the time when they were fleeing for the clutter murders. Another family of four was murdered. The DNA evidence did not find a match to the semen that was left behind at the Florida crime scene. So oddly similar, they're in town. You can't blame them. That that would be a pretty good assumption that it possibly could have been them, but they but do I don't not think, think it was. I don't think. Uh, I don't think fucking Perry would have done that again. Again, I don't I, think I, I don't so think either, Perry dude. Would have done that again. Like, I don't think so either. You got me into this one time. Yeah, I, I'm not doing do that it, shit dude, again. I'm out. No, right. Um, I read that Hickok wrote a manuscript while he was awaiting execution called "Road" or "High Road to Hell." Uh, <laughs> in it, he said that Smith killed all four of the clutters, and he only shined a flashlight on them to help. Uh, there's your target boy right smith apparently agreed but again not sure if he did that to protect dick's mom who again he was trying his best to avoid her being any more hurt than she already was um you know he didn't really have a mom so you know maybe he kind of looked to her as a mom to himself kind of a mother figure yeah um hickok also claimed the murders were part of a hit he agreed to do for five thousand dollars but i don't believe anybody gave that any credence but he claimed that too again this is one of those you hear so many different things hard to know exactly what's true and what's not there's only certain people that know what happened right and four of them were dead before these two that's true man that's true uh he sent the manuscript to a reporter who told him he'd help get it published but once the publishers knew capote was writing in cold blood nobody's interested in high road to hell so apparently Chris, that book never saw the what, light of day. You know how fucked up that is, too? Because it's like, I want to read that. I would love Anything to read that. Anything that any killer wrote, I don't oh, care man. how garbage it is, I yeah. want to check it out. Yeah, that Gates of Janus is fascinating with yeah, that Yeah, I whole need to thing. check that out for Yeah, sure. definitely. That would be a good one to do for sure on the show. And I'm sure that it's on Audible. It would have to be on Audible as well. I think I checked already. Yeah, I was going to ask you with Audible, do you keep your credits like if you don't use them or do you have to use them or lose them? No, I keep them. Okay, I wasn't sure. 
Um, I guess he serves, you know, him right because Floyd Wells, ironically, uh, he was killed during a prison break. So the snitch winds up getting out of uh, of the Kansas prison, ends up in fucking that nasty one in fucking Mississippi. What's that, Angola? Oh, yeah. Is that the one I'm thinking of, I that think really so. fucking harsh <laughs> shit? He gets up there where they're like work farms and like really fucking with you, and he fucking does a prison break down there and dies in the prison break. So Well, that's what happens, man. Right? Snitch. Snitches get stitches <laughs> in the ditches. So, yeah. So he ends up in the ditches over there in Mississippi. But, you know, hard to say, I mean, man. He did find the fight. He'll find uh, the uh, killers of this family. Right. That that's nothing. the thing is, like, is as shitty nothing. as he did that, he also helped catch these killers that, like you said, Chris, wiped out this family, no man. Reason. That's fucking horrible. Absolutely horrible story. Because you were home. Because you were home, exactly. Yeah. Now, Chris, it's an interesting <laughs> case. There's so much more we could go into about their time on death row because they meet these others that end up on death row, and there's a lot of that in the book, too, where he talks this about... Like, this shit could be so long. like It could be like a four-part. It could. It really could. There's a lot of layers to this story. So, I mean, we could we could talk about this a lot more. It's a really interesting case. Joey, a family's actually living in the home. I looked at it online. They get this big-ass dog that comes up to the yard. Anytime anybody gets close and it's barking like fucking crazy, you got to think this place is alarmed up because people come out there all the yeah, time to take Yeah, because you got yeah, assholes like me that will go fucking out there. And be like, I would go I look at it, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's got a pretty long driveway, like, oh. so you could be at the bottom of their driveway and yeah. totally see the house. Um, but it's still, you know, maybe 100 yards away. Yeah. But it's clear. I'm surprised they don't have it more like trees up or something to kind of help hide the house, hide the house a little bit. But the it's house wide open. seen enough darkness. I guess. I guess. We'll go with that. Yeah. But, yeah, if I came fucking rolling up there and all of a sudden there's a big-ass dog waiting, I'm like, eh, I'm not going any further. No. And, you know, you wonder, what if the Clutters had a dog? I didn't see any mention of a dog. And I'm right. thinking that's odd for out in a farm. Yeah. You would think most farmers would have a dog. Right? You know what I yeah, mean? If he, if he didn't have a dog, that is weird. Yeah, so it is odd. Yeah. I don't believe I heard any mention of that, like them having to kill one to quiet it off, or if if it was not even there. I don't recall ever seeing anything about a dog. So uh, that's the other thing that's, that's to me, different here. Right. Um, now, the book is a huge success, Joey, but he never really did anything capote after that he gets really into drugs and alcohol and he dies pretty young at 59 yeah in 1984 so he was a fucking mess man i mean he was he was living a fucking high life for a while and you know riding a high through the fucking uh the glory days of the 50s and 60s yeah and he started some stuff but i don't think he really wrote anything i know he never wrote a novel after yeah. that but he did write a couple articles i think there were so many artists of all sorts and, and beatnik nature coming out you know from right. back then and a few of them made it through of it, but a lot of them didn't, though. True, like, true. They got like like get sucked did, into the right, lifestyle. You get fucking just completely engulfed in it. Yeah, I'm, and he was just a fucking mess, man. I'm gonna probably die like Capote, fucking liver failure. Or cancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was I hope not. Up. I hope not. But yeah, he was fucking partying it up. Um, there are a few interviews you can watch him uh, of him on YouTube. 
And it's obvious he's really fucked up. If they're not in black and white, he's really fucked up. Because <laughs> a lot of the old stuff is all black and white stuff. And then the modern Capote, when he you know, dies in 84, but you know, late 70s, early 80s is like train wreck, you know, on some right. of these talk shows. It's really sad to see him being, you know, that fucked up. You see the decline in the fuck, like you said, between yeah, the black the and white. Yeah, big fall. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I really liked In Cold Blood, but like I said, some people argue with the facts. Um, you know, the family, of course, you know, didn't like the way they were depicted. But but who would? Right. You know, I mean, if your family yeah, just been murdered and somebody family, wrote this bestseller, yeah. it would be Come fucked on. up. It'd be harder to not think about it when you're constantly hearing people talk about the book. Yeah. There was later a movie yeah. made, which was a big movie. Um, so, you know, they weren't, I'm sure, liking any of that kind of spotlight on them. So uh, it's that's really like hard. That's like the OG to... murderabilia. Yeah. Not really. Like the Gein house, that was pretty fucking ruthless. But... Oh, yeah. <laughs> big time. But that didn't last long. Right, yeah. So, um, but, you know, the Clutter family expectedly would not be about this. Um, but you know, you know, in all these stories, we talk about the different sides. Usually the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? You know what I mean? People are on the extremes, but I don't know. Um, I found a lot of this stuff just very fascinating and like an onion, you keep peeling it and there's something else to talk about. Um, he never wrote, um, or he said, never said it wasn't, you know, a, that it was a nonfiction book. He always said it was just a true crime novel. Right. Um, so like we and said, there are some truths in it. the origin of true crime novels. Right. And he had to make, you know, dialogue. So that stuff, you know, you can only do the best you can based on interviewing all these locals and talking to them about their, <laughs> their stories and how they spoke and that sort of thing. Like he put work in to write a book, though. Right, he did. He did. Uh, anything, guys, to add to this one? Nah. No, nah, I'm good. I think we did a good I'm job good. with it. I yeah. think that uh, it's an interesting story. We're at about an hour and a half, so uh, you know, a little bit of a longer episode. But like I said, there's so much to do with this one. Um, I did my research with a lot of really good documentaries that are out there. Uh, of course, the book in Cold Blood, highly recommend. Um, there's a lot on this. If you look, there is a movie called in cold blood. That's about the book. Basically they filmed it in the clutter house. Oh, they, they got permission. Yes. Movie in the yeah. House. The Jesus people Christ. that owned it, um, let them do it. I'm sure they paid them dearly for it, but they shot the movie in the house around the house. And, uh, yeah. So, um, but, I didn't watch it. I looked kind of hokey. It was interesting. Robert Blake, uh, which we could do <laughs> an episode on. Yeah, him. that's pretty classic. He plays Perry Smith. So that's kind of funny because, of course, he's been accused of murder a couple different times. So <laughs> right. pretty interesting character. And the fact he plays Perry Smith is kind of weird. Um, but it's there is the movie. I didn't watch it. It's from like the 60, late 60s, 67. early 70s, right after the book came out. So late 60s probably. Uh, next week, we're going to do a feature on one hell of a brutal motherfucker. We talked about Richard, Richard Kuklinski, Chris. Whitey Bulger, pretty fucking nasty, man. Yeah, he's a fucking beast. Gangsters, man. They just yeah. do what the fuck they want. Like, and he was the fucking, shit. just the one of the most ruthless, brutal, did the shit himself. Like He wasn't like making other people do shit to people. He was fucking choking people and killing people and 
doing what he did, and oh. it's a fucked up story. It he is. wasn't the guy that would hire Kuklinski to go do his shit. True. He just did it. He yeah. just did it himself, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kuklinski's a hire. <clears throat> right. This dude's just out here like, all right, no, this motherfucker yeah. gonna die. I'm doing it myself. Yeah, and pretty harsh. Of course, he did some time on Alcatraz before yeah. this happened, um, but a very, very interesting story. Uh, if you watch the movie Black Mass, I just watched that over the weekend. <laughs> Such a good movie. Yeah. Oh, that's a fucking awesome movie. It's an awesome movie. I was going to bring it over to fucking show Chris. It's fantastic. Johnny Depp plays Whitey Bulger. Just such a great role. Um, And we're going to do that one next week. So that'll be fun. A little gangster stuff, Chris. I mean, that's always fun. You like gangster shit. Yeah. Uh, now, Joey, you got any good page a day <clears throat> serial killer stuff for us? I guess. Dude, the ones from last week. Yeah. The Duval sisters. Yeah. And the Kitty Genovese story, I fucking YouTube that shit, and wow, both well worthy of episodes. You told me. I didn't realize there was so much on on those twins. Duval twins, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch that. I definitely need to watch that. That's my homegirls right there. Go to YouTube and search for (laughs) Duval sisters, and you will see these two crazy fucking bitches from your story last week (laughs) driving off a cliff. I mean, like... Thelma and Louise yeah. type crazy, pulling each other's hair, fucking punching each other in the car, going high speeds. They show the turns on the documentary, and the yeah. cops are like, "What the hell?" And then they show where their uh, they checked their tire impressions, and they said they were accelerating as they as were going they were over. Going the, they think they did it. It was like a suicide pact. Yeah. And the one lived, and the other one didn't make it. Yeah, oh, Jesus it's fucked Christ. up. But yeah. yeah, you'll see it. And the cops, even though that the judge ruled against them, the cops still said no because they said it was an accident. The cops are like, no, no, they she had her foot on the gas, punching it over that fucking cliff. Yeah, so it's fucked up. So so Which y'all keep page listening. Page a day is amazing, man. Y'all keep listening because we'll probably fucking do that one sometime. Well, oh, yeah. What you got, Joey? All right, yeah. So for the page of days for today, I got some good ones. <clears throat> uh, I got three of them. The first one they're talking about is uh, <clears throat> Heriberto Seda, who he is the copycat Zodiac. That's that's what he's known for. Um, he came about, uh, his killing spree started in 1990 in New York, so all the way on the other side of the country. Wow. And at first, the New York police theorized that it, he may have relocated the actual Zodiac from San Francisco to New York and resumed his killings, but they did a handwriting analysis because this guy was, was writing them letters, too. Yeah, it was all And right off the bat, they're like, like, this is not the same guy, so. Yeah, handwriting's all wrong. Yeah, but he uh, he sent the taunting messages to police, he sent the cryptographs, all that stuff. Uh, he claimed that he would kill his victims based on the astrological signs the same way oh wow <clears throat> now the police they consulted an astronomer who actually he confirmed that this guy's predictions were actually you know what i'm saying they could have been actual times that he could have killed like he right. had it correct uh, wow. what he was saying um so in all, Seda, he murdered three people and injured five more throughout New York between 1990 and 1993. Now, he used homemade improvised guns. He had, um, you know, like zip guns and things right. like okay. that, yeah, which also is kind of a little reminiscent of the actual Zodiac because uh, he didn't have, like, I think he taunted with other shit, too. Um, so, the, uh, where was that? Oh, yeah. 
uh, so he used uh, you know all those the fake guns, but kind of like the Zodiac, uh, he was trying to tell them that his unmarked shells, because of what he was shooting out of, you're not going to be able to link anything to me. You're never going to figure this right, out. That That's what he sense. was saying. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, because he's got his own homemade shit. Right. So in 1994, he gets arrested for possession of a deadly weapon. Now they see this guy, fucking Seda, and he's got this huge bulge in his jacket pocket, and it turns out to be a handmade zip gun. (laughs) So his public defender is able to get all the charges dropped. (laughs) And fucking, yeah. And Seda was fucking, and his record was sealed. So I don't know what the fuck happened. Hold on. So dude's just out? Yeah. So he's out. He had the gun. You know what I'm saying? Holy shit, dude. And and this is a public defender. I'm like, who the fuck is your public defender? Right? I don't know. So that was crazy. No, yeah. Who the fuck is your public defender? Yeah. Really, dude. Now, of course, all this does is fuel Seda's fucking uh, mind that he's fucking above the law and that he's not going to get caught. Right. Right. He's like, oh, shit. They ain't even got nothing on me. So on June 18th, 96, he's arrested after a three-hour shootout with the police who they're called after Seda shot and wounded his teenage sister. So whatever, they're in an argument. He shoots her. The cops get called. He fucking gets in a fucking shooting spree. Uh, He he has a handwritten statement, and uh, he he uses the same fucking letters that he had sent to the fucking cops. So they fucking know what's going on. They've got his fucking DNA also from one of the stamps from one of the letters that he had sent him. So that matched to him. Uh, so Sato was he, the the copycat Zodiac killer. It was That's fucking wow. crazy. Uh, so he was crazy. at a six week trial. Jury found him guilty on four counts of murder and one of attempted murder. He was sentenced to two hundred and thirty two years. Now Damn. he was serving time in Attica in upstate New York, and while he's there, he fell in love with fellow inmate Cynthia China Blast, who was a transgender former drug dealer and, Latin, and Latin king. Oh my god! <laughs> who was serving time for a gang related murder she claims she didn't commit so new york fucking magazine in 2004 put out an article called kiss of the scorpion woman detailing their romance oh my god from their what first the kiss supposedly their first kiss was Seda's first real kiss in life he's 35 and that was the first time he'd ever really been kissed supposedly Oh my god! Uh, and then she had her her wedding ring they were showing it off in this magazine and of course it's uh it's tattooed on her fucking left ring, and it's Sada's initials with a minuscule zodiac symbol on it. Yeah. So, wow. so that's them married behind bars. Oh boy! Uh, there, were, there were two fucking there were two quotes that they gave with this story too that I thought were hilarious. So, uh, Ariberto Sada, the copycat zodiac killer, his fucking his fucking uh, quote right here just says, "I don't actually know anything about astrology." <laughs> I'm putting that one on the wall oh yeah that's a must uh and then and then i thought this was cool but uh i'm surprised that he would be the go-to yeah, astrologer yeah. I mean, who wouldn't go to him with a question about astrology so then i thought this was cool and this was uh he was this was told by michael alleg who was the he was from the party monster Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Oh, yeah. Because he was in jail with him. Oh, damn. With both of them. So this is what Michael, he had to say. He's like, so there's this drag queen in my unit who's trying to get a sex change, and she's dating the Zodiac killer. Oh my, oh, my God, he is obsessed with her. He paints her these really weird paint-by-number sets, like a soaring eagle or a horse. I don't think Cynthia appreciates the fabulosity of it, other than the fact that he's this crazy psychopath that's kind of cute. 
suit. So that's what Michael Alex <laughs> said. Oh my god! Uh, what the fuck? So page a day. All right, I got two oh, more. Not quite as long day, as that, man. but that was good. Yeah. All page right. So day. this one, uh, they were talking about the longest prison sentence in history. Oh wow! So this guy Paul Geidel is seventeen when he kills seventy-three-year-old broker William H. Jackson in nineteen eleven. So he's working as a bellhop at the Iroquois Hotel in New York City, and he goes into this into the guy's room, and he's trying to rob him. Okay. But uh, he ends up suffocating to death with the chloroform-soaked rag. Oh, boy. So he made off with only a few bucks, but he was left with the legacy of the longest prison sentence. Uh, it ended up being 68 years and 245 days. He received 20 years for second-degree murder, and his sentence was quickly reduced based on good behavior. But shortly before his parole hearing in 1926, he was declared legally insane oh my and transferred God. to a mental hospital where he was until 1972. <laughs> oh, my God. Granted parole in 1974 at 80 years old, he volunteered to stay in prison an additional six years <laughs> because he had no family I or skills this. to make it on the outside. Wow. So by this time he had developed a rapport with the guards they took him to baseball games and other outings oh my god so he was finally released on may 8th 1980 and he is said to have lived out the remainder of his years in a nursing home and died at 93 god, god <laughs> almighty what was the name of him again uh paul Geidel. paul Geidel. wow <laughs> That's right. fucking brutal man and then this last one this is a fucking good That's one it's just life now man oh yeah <laughs> so page a day and i knew about it's this like case fucking, uh Oh, good. Oh, no, I'm talking about the prison, dude. It's like fucking Shawshank. Fucking yeah. yeah. Can't yeah. leave. Can't, yeah, totally institutionalized. So institutionalized. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the last one Paige today gave me, and I, had, I knew about this one because, as I've said before, I'm a big fan of the interrogation videos, and this yeah. dude's fucking interrogation is like top of the line, but they're talking uh, Fidel Lopez. So in 2015... This guy, Fidel Lopez, and his girlfriend, Maria Nemeth, they come home from a night of drinking like they're getting fucking tanked, fucking shit-faced. So, now, he claims that they were having rough sex, but this is before the details emerged. So, during the drunken sex, supposedly, this is what happened, because this is, they're basing everything on what he says, so right. it's kind of fucking speculation what really happened in the in the beginning you know right but supposedly during their drunken sex she called out her ex's name twice which sent him into a fucking rage and they're fucking drinking tequila and shit yeah, and, just, they're fucked oh, up right they're fucked and up some people get i don't get violent when i drink yeah but uh <laughs> so he he shattered a sliding glass door he punched holes in the wall he ripped a closet door off the hinges now what i saw and what i thought uh happened was that she was kind of in the closet trying to hide and he and fucking ripped the fucking there. door off of that shit. Oh, wow. And he was, like, talking in the interviews. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, I do that when I get mad. Like, I have a fucking history of, you know, violence or, you know, breaking shit. Wow. So, I don't know. It was fucked up. But anyway, so he's breaking all this shit in the fucking place. And like I said, he ripped the closet door off the hinges. And I'm pretty sure because she was in there. Uh, he goes back to, to Maria, who was unconscious on the floor. So I don't know if he hit her. I don't know what happened or if she was just wasted or whatnot. Talking about what She's unconscious the on the floor. Yeah. And he began to use various objects, such as a beer bottle and his hands and other things, to attack her. And he eventually ripped out part of her intestines with his hands because 
he said that they were God, fucking having yeah. rough sex and he, he told the cops but i don't believe this either but that she wanted him to stick the bottle into her pussy and fucking he was like saying like all the way up to his elbow and so this right, motherfucker's yeah. in there fucking wow. her with that they said they found a fucking uh, a straight iron was there and some oh other shit God. and he was just fucking but yeah and like obviously he fucking reached in there grabbed a hold of fucking whatever and ripped her fucking her Inside guts out. out of her pussy God, damn. he fucking washed his hands and smoked a cigarette before he called 911 to say maria wasn't breathing and she was pronounced dead within 30 minutes but yeah like they went in and they saw the fucking scene like in the fucking Jesus. in the closet there was just fucking parts of her in there and blood all over the place and they showed that i don't know if he dragged her or she crawled or whatever to the bathroom that's where she ended up dying but there was fucking blood and shit all in there but he's like oh no it was just rough sex and she fucking w- walked herself to the bathroom and then got sick and, you know, all, it was, it's fucked up. But yeah, wow. Fidel fucking Lopez, man, that story. Damn. So page a day. Wow. Page a fucking day. That's some good stuff there. Jesus Christ. That's brutal. All right. Well, I think we've uh, done our fair share of murdering tonight, guys. I, I hear that music. It. CK getting ready to throw down some metal knowledge. So Joey, tell us what the fuck we need to do. Gonna be sitting on the bar, still acting like a bankful. We're gonna get our man along. Yes. Yes. Known the world over as the master of metal, the crusher of posers, and murder metal mayhem's knower of all things metal, hailing from Wild Man Street in Danbury, Connecticut, standing at six feet of brutal punishing madness, Weighing in at 220 pounds of poser pulverization. The one, the only, toughest bastard on the planet, Chris C.K. Comics! Alright, great metal motherfucker. Fuck yeah. Cops are all over wild, man, trying to find you. You're out there raising hell, CK. What's up? Yeah, with my gimpy ass. With my gimpy ass. Uh, you're brutal, <laughs> dude. You got the cops worried. You're all fired up, as always, coming here to throw down some metal knowledge. And you're doing a band that's definitely different from Chris and I's taste in music. Yeah, this is this is a band that um, it's kind of, kind of goes in that group. You either love them or hate them. Yeah, Joey, I didn't ask your uh, opinion on them. Uh, I I can take them or leave them. I I appreciate them and uh, their talents and right. what they do, and they're a big part of metal still. You know, yeah, but that's to, why to I'm their, interested. As just far to as hear what them. I'm into, I'm probably not going to throw them in the CD player and just spend them too much. Right. So I'm anxious it, to hear what you like got to say, CK. It's like I said, it's it's a band that's love or hate them, and and the yeah. band is masked on and from the um. Hotbed of heavy metal, Atlanta, Georgia. Hell yeah. Which actually does have a little bit of a scene there. Um, and the funny thing about this band is they've been together 21 years with the same band members. That's, wow. That's crazy, dude. That is pretty um, impressive. Yeah, it's been pretty good. They had one past band member, but he was like in a band for like a very short time. It's, it was basically, it's basically been Brand Daler. Brett Hines, Bill Bill Kelleher, and um, Troy Sanders. Bron, uh, Bron, I'm sorry, Bron Daler, I'm sorry. But um, Bron, he's like, he's just an awesome drummer, in my opinion. Um, 
But like I said, this band formed in 2000... <gasps> 2000, and they're still jamming with the same people that formed the band 21 years ago. That's cool. Um, they started in Atlanta, Georgia, and they pretty much met at a High on Fire concert. Huh. Realized realize that realize they like the same bands. Um, going anywhere from the Melvins to Neurosis to Iron Maiden to Lizzie. And um, decided to put all those influences together and formed what we call Mastodon. That's a that's a mythical creature, sir. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, extinct. <laughs> uh, uh, they recorded their first album, Remission, in 2002 um, on the metal label Relapse, which Relapse is a pretty iconic label at this point in time. Oh, yeah. Um, did pretty well. It was a new sound for that time, so that sound, I, I guess you would call it the Georgia, the Georgia sound, because other bands have popped up in the area, like Black Tusk and other bands here and there. And it's kind of like a combination between sludge metal, doom metal, and um, a little bit of speed metal mixed in with it. And and now they're they're, you can even throw in progressive metal. Because the last couple albums have been pretty progressive as far as I'm concerned. And, yeah. And, and I, I love them. So we recorded that first album, Remission, in um, 2002. Did pretty well for him. Uh, still, still underground. Nothing major as far as you know. But um, they, they, got, they had a little cult following at this time. Um, followed it up with Leviathan, which was... Uh, concept based loosely on Moby Dick and obviously if you look at the cover it, it's obvious that the um, influences Moby Dick because it has actually Moby Dick on the cover alright okay fucking whale on there um you know another improvement from the previous album um you know still on relapse at this time I think Leviathan Leviathan is the first one I ever heard, and I was like, "Yeah, that's the one." I was just like, "Couldn't dig it." I'm like, Whoa. "Yeah, yeah." That, that that album was like, the sound at the time was was kind of like in transition, right? Um, you know, they went from what was what you could be called, mm -hmm. I guess, noise, like the neurosis type metal, to um, yeah. eventually what now many considered a, 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 they have a progressive sound, but um. Blood Mountains they released in 2006 still um no they're still they're still I, I don't know I can't remember if they were signed to Relapse at this point or I believe they were signed to Relapse and eventually went on to um sign with Reprise at this time and, and Reprise took over the took over this album so I think there's some albums available on, on Relapse and some of this album available on Reprise. Okay. Um, I think I have both, if, I've, if I'm remembering correctly. I could be wrong. you got everything, um, that's why. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but, you know, at this point, their sound is in transition. You see them kind of getting their sound together as far as a, maybe to a progressive 
a more of a aggressive sound. Um, going less away from that noise metal thing, the grunge thing, um, the sludge metal, and kind of refining their sound to more of a, a I would say definitely going towards the direction of of um, a progressive sound because Crack the Sky in 2009 was their breakthrough album as far as I'm concerned. Um, I heard that album and I was, I, I literally, I don't think I took it out of my CD player for at least a couple weeks. Um, I was just playing it constantly and, and, and could not stop listening to this album. It was To me, it was like so good. Um, and to me, that was the official crossover from where they were to where they are now as far as more of a progressive sound, more of a, just a, a, a metal sound to it. And at this point, they're they're fully signed with Reprise now. So they have major label backing. The albums do really good. They're on major tours at this point. Um, touring with um, Maiden. Um, Maiden uh, touring with... Um, that's a badass Joel Maiden, dude. Yeah, that's God, a big tour, man. God, who the fuck tour, is that man. band that I... Yeah, new Maiden they, they coming out tour. September 3rd, man. That's going to be badass. Dude, yes. You guys... Yes. I don't know if you guys... But I saw this fucking meme. It was a goddamn... What fucking album was it? It was one of the Iron Maiden albums. But it was obviously Eddie, because Eddie's on the Iron Maiden right. album. But the way it looked, they had this, uh, like, the industrial yellow mop upside down and it looked like Eddie and it was fucking hilarious <laughs> <laughs> might have been the Killers album where he's got a hatchet I think it was the Killers album they replaced album. it with the mop no band. no no what did it say no it said fucking run for the spills instead of run oh, for the hills so number of the bees <laughs> yeah. that's funny god damn it that's funny that's <laughs> funny sorry about that oh, CK oh what happened CK what's going on dude fell, I got it you got it? No, my mic, my mic, yeah, my mic fell, I got it. Just to make sure I got everything. <laughs> All right. All right. So getting on with... Mastodon. Um, Mastodon. <laughs> um, like I said, at this point, they're fully signed with Reprise. They have full label backing. Um, and they're starting to tour and um, headlight their own shows at this point. Um, a lot of shows they toured with Clutch. And they have pretty much a, their sounds are kind of similar as far as them and Clutch. Maybe Clutch isn't as progressive as they are, but um, 2011, after Crack the Sky, they released The Hunter, which wasn't quite as as good. Great album, but a little letdown as opposed to Crack the Sky, because I put Crack the Sky on such a, a, a high, high level that... um. No, it was it's going to be pretty hard to top it in my opinion, and and they came pretty close in 2014, 2017. They put out two badass albums, um, Once More Around the Sun in 2014 and Emperor of the Sand, um, both awesome albums, and I gotta say they're on par with Crack the Sky. I'm not gonna say they're better, but they're definitely on par with Crack the Sky, and. Um, you know, all these albums are pretty much still available f physically. Uh, obviously, if you want to go, 
you know, the digital route and stream, streaming, it, it, they're available. But again, you know, I'm, I'm trying to push, you know, these bands don't make shit off streaming. Right. So if you find an album and you really dig it. Go um, buy it. If you're not into buying albums, maybe buy a shirt. Sure. Or buy you a know, shirt and a, a sh- CD, you know. Shirt, shirt, CD, a patch, a pin, whatever they have available. Check out their merch and, yeah. and help support these guys. I agree. Um, because, you know, pretty soon you're not going to have... These bands are going to be around because they can't, you know, can't support sustain. themselves. They can't go on tour and they can't... There's no sustainability in, yeah. in the music business. Um, Got to get a job and know, then so, that fucks up the touring schedule. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I agree. Unless you're a major, 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 <laughs> you're a major, major label band, then, you know, that, that ain't going to happen. Right. But definitely check um, Mastodon out. them out. Hell yeah! Well, you got a um, you got a lost classic for us tonight, CK. Yeah, another another classic band that's been a, they've been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, and the band is Sarah Thungle, and the album is, um, excuse me. Oh shit! I don't I got even, the wrong notes. Hold on. I don't even know who this is. <laughs> My bad. Never heard I've of, heard of them, but I don't think I've ever heard them before. Yeah, I've listened to them. Uh, I've never. I don't think I've ever. Heard uh, Fro- Frost and Fire, which I believe is their second album. Um. Again, Sierra Thungle signed with Metal Blade. Um, all their stuff is available. What are Check they like, out. CK? What kind it's, of style is it? They are like they're like definitely a dewy type band. Okay. Um. Kind of like a '70s feel, '70s vibe to them. Um, the lead singer got, kind of got to get used to his vocals. Yep. Kind of reminds me a little <laughs> bit of um, Eric Wagner yep. from Trouble. Okay. All right. But, um, cool. Definitely check him out. All right. Well, very cool. Well, I'll tell you what. I hear that six, six, fucking six oh, music. Going to talk about what we've been digging and what we've been listening to. <laughs> Hell yeah, some onslaught. Six six fucking six tells me Hell we yeah. got to talk about what the hell we've been listening to. So, Chris, what have you been listening to over there at the Nation? Uh, you know me. I just go random and play whatever. I was today. I was listening to anything that's jumping out at you though. Oh, today I was listening to fucking. I wrestled a bear once because I really I like I wrestled a bear once. I don't care if y'all do or not. I don't think I've ever heard them before. I fucking love them. Who are they? I, I wrestled a bear once, but <laughs> never heard of them. <laughs> right, it, it's all good. There's some core shit, but I like it, dude. I dig it. I heard of wrestled a bear twice, but not once. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I've cool. listened to right. Whitechapel today because I love Whitechapel. Uh, what else? I don't know. Dog Fashion Disco. Nice. Listen some Dog Fashion Disco. Uh, Old heavy core band, man. One of the first ones, right? And yeah. I know all these years. I never heard them. I, it's been a long time since I heard them, but they're really bizarre. Yeah, they're, they're, it's like, they're out there. I love them, dude. They're fucking yeah, it's like, great. The, the names always put me off. I've never yeah, I know. Them. They're great dudes, though. When they were in heavy core, yeah, they were Todd's so cool. fucking awesome. Really dude. nice guys. And like, uh, they're just, yeah, the name is a turnoff for me, too. It's just, They're basically the same band as freaking uh, Polka Dot Cadaver. Polka Dot Cadaver. Right. Yeah. Never heard of them either. No, dude, I, I heard all of them, but I never 
Check them out, bro. Polka Dot Cadaver. Yeah, I like them a lot. Yeah, they're, they're badass. And we saw them live. Yeah, we saw, we saw Polka Dot Cadaver. I'll check them out yeah. after the podcast. Yeah, definitely, dude. Check them out. That's cool. Well, that's good. Some good and stuff. And also some, uh, some goddamn Polish The Ambassador, but that's just some DJ shit that's like EDM <laughs> that you guys ain't going to care oh, about. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Joey, save us. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> you been listening to? Uh, I was listening to Grind Pad Violence. Uh, okay. Thrash albums, pretty fucking badass. And uh, yeah, I got, you played that at the house the other day yep. too. Yeah, that was fucking. That's one dope. with the shark. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was uh, that's the one with the shark. I was listening to Schizogen um, in the car. Uh, they're from Germany, fucking brutal death metal. And I was listening to Traumatomy, who's from Japan, who's slamming brutal death metal. So fuck yeah, dude. Pretty nasty stuff. CK, you? Yeah, I've been listening to um. The new one by Fractal Universe, band out of um, France. Okay. Um, very weird shit. Um, metal one minute, fucking jazz interludes the next. Um, weird shit. Um, Kill Switch Engage. Never listened to Kill Switch Engage because I heard it New Times of Grace, and that's the side project of um, members of Kill Switch. Right. Um, aborted. And to cleanse the power a little bit, I've been listening yeah. to a little bit of um, Jeff Beck. Okay. Fucking right, dude. Hell yeah. I've been listening to, well, I've been mentioning them all night, Byzantine Hell from yeah. fucking West Virginia. They're so killer. Great, talented band. Um, amazing players. They're all really great. And then the band, Joey, you mentioned Terrifier, man, from Canada, right? Yeah. Winnipeg? Yeah. Fucking nasty, man. Really good stuff. That uh, They've only got one album out. Yeah. And it's really cool it's a and fucking thrashy, really good riffs, uh, worth checking out, CK Terrifier. Yeah, they're, 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 on, they're on my playlist, actually. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. really, really good. Um, Weapons so, of Thrash Destruction. Yeah, I love that title. Album. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. You uh, know what else I know we all heard and listened to? I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys heard that fucking Iron Maiden leak. Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah, new one. Yeah, that was fucking really good. Yeah, I was impressed with um, it. September 3rd, it um, comes out. I'm so pumped to get it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to see that or check that out either. All right, the uh, 666 Club, we mentioned them. It's our Patreon. Patreon. It's how you can support Patreon. the show. Three bucks a month, you get special Patreon. access. And uh, I'll link to that in the episode description. But three bucks a month for all the cool shit. Discounts on merch. The show's a day early. Uh, the karaoke as soon as they're done. And uh, all sorts of other cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So we got all check kinds of cool merch, so you can get a 10% we do. discount on everything just yeah. for being a member. Yeah, we it's got a good shirts deal. and activity books. Yeah, the activity books. We yeah. sold a few of those here recently, yeah. and you could color serial yeah, they, killers they, they, and serial killer word search. I mean, it's <laughs> fucking awesome. And then articles that me, Chris, and CK wrote too. Yeah, we should do a yeah, fucking volume they're, two. They're getting a second run. Yeah, we should uh, do a volume yeah, two. Yeah, we should to do that. a volume two. Yeah, that'd be great. Get Joey yeah, involved in it that. It did one. go well. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, yeah, we got good merch, the shirts, the activity books. You can go uh, link to the episode, that in the episode descriptions. You can order this stuff. And, uh, and, the, and the Patreon doesn't go in our pockets, it goes towards making the podcast better and improving. Yeah, well, paying the bills because it's not free to do a podcast. You have to pay a fee monthly subscription to upload them, and it's uh, you, it's you not expensive. It free, but, but you know, yeah, you guys are getting it for free, but we have to pay to make it happen. But, but, so but we still got a little. Um, 
little bit of overhead. overhead that we have to take care of. Right. Now, Joey, you got a show coming up on Saturday, right? Saturday. So this episode comes out on a Thursday, and yeah. your date is Saturday, July 24th. Saturday, 24th. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. 2021. Yeah. Chicago. So if, if you're listening to this episode on the uh, and it's new, then, you know, the Saturday afterwards. But uh, yeah. July 24th, 2021, the Saturday, uh, I'm playing with Bitru from Columbia and uh sacrificial massacre dysenter and the monkey man and then the gourmonger um and that's gonna be at reggie's in chicago awesome dude yep pretty yeah, stoked you're your, your headlining joke yeah not <laughs> not at all but that's all right because fucking it's it's a lot of different kind of bands which sounds is, like a brutal night yeah though. i like i like shows like that where it's a fucking little it's bit of a mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used to love going to to shows that had a little bit of variety yep yeah that's really cool all right, well, very good. Uh, well, I think we've done plenty of fucking metal tonight. So, CK, what the fuck do we need to do? We gotta get our mayhem on, motherfuckers. Good morning. Thanks for calling Finley Gang Crisis Hotline. How can I help you? Yo, this is Punky Brooks. I'm a Crip, Finley Crips, in the 419, boy. I don't appreciate you telling that people that gang life is bad because it's not, bitch. Uh, there's Crips in Finley? Are you kidding me? Don't be laughing, bitch. 419 gonna get your ass. There's a whole bunch of Crips in Finley. Bloods, too. Uh, well, this is a hotline to help kids thinking about joining a gang. It's a dead end. Bitch, you don't know. 419 don't fuck around. Don't be telling kids that shit. Are you the same Punky Brooks who's related to that white trash bitch, Sugar Babe? Bitch, that's my mom's you're talking about. 419, ho. What the heck? I forgot I did that one. Oh, my God. I love that one. That's one of my all-time favorites, man. Anything that has to do with... Sugar we babe. suddenly gain prices. <laughs> yeah, that's God, good yeah, stuff. You can't, you can't so go good. wrong. I'll tell you what, though. I watched one that rivals Sugar Babe yeah. and the, the Jefferson Davis 8. Yeah. There's a docuseries called Relentless. We watched it on Discovery+. I Plus. haven't seen that, but I saw about it, though. It's yeah, like six I, I parts, I and it's some white trash fucking Hannibal, Missouri, like crooked, like West Memphis 3 type police shit like yeah, I really I bad i don't know yeah. if I, I if i could if i could go deeper than then you know fucking it's very similar to the sugar babe type I mean, thing with I, can, I can't remember the names know. uh exactly but <laughs> i think it's like lisa Strom and and jimmy is not johnny walker sugar babe. but uh this is other case that happened like outside toledo too but it's all 4192 right but it's the same shit there's a list of characters that are just like you gotta be fucking kidding me right it's like scripted sugar yeah, babe so ruined bad. my life for a while <laughs> <laughs> and before that was mastodon with their song steam breather so uh cool segment there ck um, do the fact that we are well over two hours now. We're gonna. Uh, Joey's got a, a short, short man story, short yep. and we're gonna do that. But we get some other ones coming up next week. We just don't want to make this episode crazy long. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I think CK's got one for us next week. Yeah, yeah I, I got a quick one. Next I got week. one too. I, I'm, I was telling Chris, I'll, we'll get to it like here in the future. But, but it's a longer one. It's a long one, and it's like I'm gonna have to sit down and figure this one out, like I did some of my past right. ones. But it's whenever I follow, oh, I love those. It's whenever I followed the Grateful Dead whenever I was 18. Oh, so wow. it, that was it's a really class one. But anyway, but <clears throat> the one I was gonna tell tonight, and this is just fucking so stupid. But and it's recent. It is. It's very recent. So Monday, I'm fucking leaving work, and like I stayed it. I'm 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 not leaving work. I'm going home on lunch real fast, so I can go fucking get high. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, but I stayed at work longer than I usually do before I went to lunch just because there was a lot of shit to do. I was just trying to get everything caught up before I went. Right. So I'm leaving and I'm like, fuck it. Not that anybody on the fucking listening is going to really know, but I'm turning on uh, off Veterans Parkway, our main road onto Vernon. Like, right. right where Steak and Shake's at right there. So I'm going fucking right. There's a fucking car in front of me who's going right. She starts to go, and then at the last minute fucking changes her oh, mind. But well, I'm that. already fucking committed. So I fucking tap her. It's a fucking brand new Escalade. Like, I'm like, Jesus oh, no. fucking Christ. I get the fuck, I get out of the car, and I'm just like, and my whole fucking day is ruined as fuck. Right. The lady gets out of the car, and oh my god it's a lady who's like i know her from work she don't work with me she's one of our best customers she's in there all oh, the great. time like every day oh no and, 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 no but she's like she loves me though oh, we, wow. we've been friendly since she, oh. he said since she I've was worked. there imagine he if it was, was neck there tattoo there. oh no. no he said she was there the day the hook went through his eye yeah she, oh, was, wow. she saw that like she was like so whenever i saw her she saw me it was just kind of like Oh my god! And she was like, "Oh, Joey, I'm so sorry, you know." But I obviously it's my fault because I'm in the back, so you're always getting right, in trouble. Right. So you know, we pull over the steak and shake. We look. There's a little bit of scuffle on her fucking bumper, like barely anything. And I'm just like, I gave her my info and my insurance. I'm like, here you go. She hit me up like two days later and said that her and her husband decided not to turn it in, which was really which nice. Bad. Oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. a good fucking. But that's it cool. was crazy because literally, like, I can't believe that, that the, the so, one person I yeah. thought happened to have been somebody I knew. Oh, and, man. And I don't even know a lot of people around here at all. Right. So it was like when she got out, I was just like, oh, my God. So wow, that was my mayhem out. when I got to uh, tap a brand new fucking Escalade and yeah. learned a lesson from it. Yeah, close. Close call. Well, that's good that uh, yeah that she did the right thing. That's awesome. No, she was there for real. Like when I had the hook in my like, she saw that whole shit. Oh man! Now recently we did some fake commercials, and as we've said before, <laughs> we had so much fun doing these. Which we I, played the Alcatraz. Yeah, we and, did last week, yeah. and so we don't have. A, that's and why we, we did Finley did Gang Crisis. We just did Punky. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah. we got the uh, we got that one for you, but I wanted to play some bloopers for you from this last session. It's about a minute of it. I think you guys will get a kick out of it. So check this out. Oh, thanks for calling. It's the theme is sitting. Oh, shit. All right, let me try this. Hey, I had Bulgers take care of this little prick at work. They beat this motherfucking to death in the park lot after work one night. Shit, he was in the hospital for a month and never came back. With expense, with expense, oh. go from the beginning. Add boulders, take care of this little prick. Oh, fuck. Let Bulger Angle Management save the stress. Download an app and pain and suffer. Hold on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Of course, we can work with all sorts of materials. We have wonderful assortment of home decorders made from human skin. We have several labs, a few sky curtains. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I took my girlfriend on one of the Malat. Well, hang on a second. Yes, we have exclusive clients who love to purchase items made from humans. God damn it. Yes, we have... I'd be happy to put eyes on it. Oh, man. Ilsa. Ilsa, I know. That's why I stopped. That's why I stopped. I would be happy to put Ilsa on to talk to you about it. She loves to discuss humans. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Oh, so that gives you a little insight. Oh, my that God. <laughs> I'm fucking retarded, dude. We have so much fun doing those commercials. So get CK in on it. So always a good time. Oh, my shit. All right. Well, um, we uh, we just wanted to share that with you. Uh, as yeah. you guys know, the Creation of Chaos book came out. God, Creation damn. of Chaos 3. I appreciate everybody that's ordered it. You guys are awesome. There is a link in the episode description to get your own copy. If you order them from me, each book comes with an 11 by 17 poster and bookmark. The audio book is going through the final review, finally, at Audible. As soon as that's done, I'll let you know. It's very close, though. I submitted a few stories to the Night Terrors podcast to be read on their show. And they contacted me super interested in what I sent them. Some brutal ones. Come to Jesus was one. I'm, I'd love to hear him do that. Um, so once I know more, I'll let everybody know. Fucking right. Um, and talking to him, hopefully, about maybe doing an interview and doing some podcast help, you know, uh, you know, uh, plug them, they plug us type of thing. Um, I've officially one started. the other. Yeah, exactly. I've started officially writing Deeper Than Dead now, so I've got the Facebook page back up and running uh, for that project specifically, so I'll be passing on details as it goes. Um, big thanks to all the listeners that have been interested in my writing stuff and buying the books, and again, go to that episode description if you want to do any of that stuff. All right, we got a good killer cage match. We we explain uh, how it goes here. We get 70 killers that we came up with and 70 objects, Chris. And we have some listeners that provide those random numbers that we can decide who's going to fight. Once again, we got Rowdy Bonehouse, (laughs) Ray McFalls, and Samantha Cram it up your cram hole cram. Nice. So thank you very much. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So thank you guys for your support. And we have another good one for you tonight, Joey. Again, who is fighting to death in our cage tonight? Motherfucking ladies, man. Uh, Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. He's going to be fighting against uh, Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf. Oh, man. That's one sick motherfucker. Both Fuck of yeah, them are sick motherfuckers. Uh, and they've got a couple of objects, CK, they're going to be fighting with. These are some interesting ones here. The objects are to have a garbage bag filled with cat shit. And the pet rock. Oh boy! Now, now the variables now the variable are good one. Fucking, yeah, the variables like it's, yeah, shit. Six, six dead zombie toddlers. Yeah, that's oh, wow. the, toddlers are terrible enough the way I they know. are. Can you imagine so zombie toddlers? Zombie, zombie, zombie toddlers. That's some people's worst nightmare. Like yeah. for real. <laughs> so that is an interesting matchup. Now, CK, I know you said that you were complaining last week. You had to go after Joey. So I'm going to let you open it up, CK. What do you think is going to happen here okay. with Bundy and Curtin? Well, 
with a garbage bag filled with cat shit and a pet rock, six dead zombie toddlers in a cage. Okay, now here's my thing. I'm looking at both killers, and I'm looking at Ted Bundy. To me, he's a one-dimensional. Um, Peter Curtin, he uses a variety of things to kill with. So my thing is, Curtin's going to go right after that bag-filled cat shit and spread it all around <laughs> fucking Bundy after he fucking knocks him out. Okay. Then he's going to take the pet rock and shove that thing straight up his ass. Oh, wow. <laughs> Damn. And okay. when he pulls it out, he's going to pause intestines and everything. That wow. all, all's internal. That's like the page of day See, you just read, Joey, about pulling out the intestines. Oh, yeah, it, it is. is. Holy Similar. shit. Wow, CK, yeah. kind of like Nostradamus. I didn't know nothing the, about that. Of course. It's crazy. <laughs> so, um... You think He's the six dead, dead zombie kids are going to fucking be involved in this thing, Chris? Well, well, oh, yeah. Then, then what, what he's going to do is he's going to lead the six dead zombie toddlers because they're dumb. They're, they're fucking young and dumb. <laughs> and they're just going to go over there and they're going to fucking eat, eat him, eat his shit up. Okay. They're going to tear, they're going to basically eat his fucking... Um, Intestines skin off from his butthole and and eat everything and and it's going to be a skeleton left after they're done. Wow! So oh. I'm going with Peter Curtin for the win. Okay. Ding, ding. Right. Chris, what about you, dude? Uh, I'm going to go with I don't give a shit about the six dead zombie toddlers because dead <laughs> zombies have already been in the head, so they're not moving anymore. Okay. That's a dead zombie. A zombie's right. already a dead person. Right. Six dead zombies don't mean shit to me. They're dead. But uh, okay. they're, they're toddlers, though. Yeah, but they're dead zombies. Yeah, that's true. Dead zombies would be a zombie that's had a headshot. <laughs> yeah, like that's a, a dead, dead zombie is a fucking okay, zombie that's that. had a headshot. I'll give you that. They mean right. nothing to me, dude. They're just laying right. there on the they're ground. Just laying there stinking. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Uh, Bondi, he's like his body's in the woods and shit. He knows how to throw rocks, so he's gonna grab that rock, fucking throw it right at fucking Dusseldorf's fucking head knock his shit out bury him in cat shit and fucking walk away with the wind fucking go fuck a corpse damn joey uh <clears throat> i think that that peter kurt and ted bundy i mean bundy's gonna go for the rock Curtin's not gonna really care about either one of the fucking weapons problem is those fucking uh zombie babies i i think that they're gonna come through and fucking wipe the house up they're going to fucking come through and bite the shit out of both of them, turn them both into zombies. Oh, wow. Then you got a zombie Bundy and a zombie Curtin. That, That'd be pretty tough. That I mean, would at be le- pretty at wicked. Least, at least Bundy's dead fucking yeah. the dead. So well, I mean, I'm, there's that. I'm going to go with the variable this week. I'm going to say the dead zombie Tyler okay. is going to fucking take it. Yeah, I'm thinking Bundy and Curtin, you know, neither's like an imposing figure, so I think they'd have to just be the quickness factor. I think if one of them gets to that rock first, I think they could use it to beat the other one up. But I don't know. I, I think the zombie kids are definitely, uh, you know, a, a huge issue. Uh, but I get Chris's point if you consider them yeah, dead, dead as in. Dead zombie. That, like, or they, already, they already got I a headshot. I don't give a fuck. Dead as in they I know became. What you, I know what you but meant. You're, but, I know what you meant. But the way you but, parse the words, I think it makes yeah, legit sense. So, yeah, I know what you meant. So I think it's an interesting one. But as always, guys, a good killer cage match tonight. So I think we've done plenty of mayhem. So let's hit the outro. Yeah. <laughs>
yeah, man. Terrifier from Winnipeg, man. Those guys are wicked. That song, Sect of the Serpent, like old school Exodus and like old school Slayer stuff. Love it. And that's what it sounds like. Yeah, Yeah. and that album was like 2017. Yeah. That's uh, one of my favorite like neo thrash albums. Yeah, they're really good. Go check them out. Terrifier. Are they still around, or are they one and done? I don't know. I, I only saw the one album, and like I jammed that whenever it came out. Then I never heard about them doing anything else. Hmm. But I know there's another band called Hazard, and they were like, uh, yeah, are, I got, I, I have them. Oh, okay. So they're kind of linked up together. So I don't know if there's like members that are cross. Oh, I, I see. I'm not exactly sure like the the history into that band, but I just know that album was killer. And, cool. Very cool. Yeah. All right, well, the bumper music tonight, Mastodon, Terrifier, and Byzantine. Uh, CK, your intro music is by which band? My intro music is by none other than Krasix. Hell yeah. Yeah, Chris. Metal Mayhem, man. Oh, 12. Hell yeah. Oh, motherfucking 12. And Joey, 666 is given to us by? Onslaught. Hell yeah. All the bands, thanks for letting us use their stuff. Thanks to all you guys listening. We keep seeing the numbers coming in, so thank you very, very much. Good to see Chicago back up on the top. Uh, but, you know, all the cities, uh, we appreciate it very much. Um, we got some good comments this time around, Chris. You want to read that first one, dude? Uh, we got Nikki Sims says, I'm a new listener from Dallas, and I really love this podcast. I found you on iTunes, and I've been telling everyone about it. MMM. M.M. Thank M-M. you. We appreciate it, Nikki. Mayhem Rock. Hell yeah. Thanks, Nikki. That's a cool comment. We appreciate it. Hell yeah. Joey, what about the next one, dude? Uh, Carla Jones commented, How can you go wrong with four guys talking about serial killers and heavy metal? This podcast fucking kills it. Horns high from Cleveland. Oh, and fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hell there yeah. Nice, yes. Carla. There you go. All right, CK, what about the third one there, dude? Charlie Manson Kills commented, I've been checking you guys out for the past year, and I really love the Alcatraz episode. I learned a lot from all you, from all you all, and Texas is always fun when you have him on the show. Hell yeah, Texas is awesome. Hell yeah, yeah Texas fucking. And great then guy. Metal Goddess commented, "Thanks to CK for doing my favorite band from the '80s, Alcatraz. You guys all kick so much ass. I'm a listener in San Jose, so thanks, Metal Goddess. That's awesome. Thank you cool. much." You guys Glad can go you check like the us um, out. Episode on. What's that? We had a lot of listeners to that Alcatraz said, episode. I'm glad she. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad she liked the um, the feature on the band. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Uh, Murder, Murder Metal Mayhem. You can listen to all the episodes. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can find us on all sorts of places. I've been listening to us on uh, my uh, Audible app. It's actually kind of cool. So, you know, you can listen really wherever you want. We listen to the... Uh, Apple Tunes, Spotify. We were all at Shawback Nation, and we fucking played it with the, with the, the speed. high speed. Yeah, yeah it's I know. And it was funny It was shit. hilarious. <laughs> I must have done that by accident. I think I told you this. It was so And it funny. was, yeah, I realized what I did, and I fixed it. Um, so yeah, Patreon, we talked about that, our 666 club, three bucks a month, all this stuff again in the episode description, creationofchaos.com if you want to buy one of the books, and you could check out the episode description to order one, uh, Voice of Dread, we're going to be getting together here doing some Maximum Overdrive, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Maximum Overdrive. that's going to be that fun, 
Um, and we can't let him go without hearing a karaoke song. I did this one for the Clutter Murders. Oh, yeah. And it's a song, you know, with them in mind and their town. So crank this one up. And until next time, keep one foot in the gutter. And keep your fist holding a shotgun. Yeehaw. Oh, that's right. small town and I live in a small town probably die in a small town those small communities all my friends are so small town my parents live in the same small town my job is so small town provides little opportunity yeah Fuck yeah! Educated in a small town Talked to fear Jesus in a small town Used to daydream in that small town Pouring romantic, yeah that's me! But I've seen it all in a small town Had myself a ball in a small town Married an LA doll and brought her to this small town Now she's small town, just like me No, I cannot forget where it is that I come from I cannot forget the people who love me Yeah, I can't be myself here in this small town And people let me be just what I want to be Yeah! Oh, yeah! Murder metal mayor! Small town, oh, that's probably where they'll be.